Welcome to the Arms Race. This is the podcast where we attempt to determine which action star has the highest body count in movie history, currently by watching every single Sylvester Stallone movie one at a time. I'm Kevin Keen. And I'm Mike Olson. And today we'll be discussing Fist, released by Unitas Artist on April 28th, 1978, starring Sylvester Stallone, Rod Steiger, Peter Boyle, Melinda Dillon, David Huffman, Kevin Conway, and Tony Lobianco as Babe Milano. Written by Joe Esterhaas and Sylvester Stallone, based on a story by Joe Esterhaas, directed by Norman Jewison. So, this is a movie neither of us had seen. Uh, neither of us had seen. It certainly was 100% a perfect pick for the day we recorded the last episode, uh, being Labor Day. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, I'll lead off by saying I appreciate the change of pace from my piece of garbage pick <laughs> that was the idea uh i this do is the biggest change of pace from spy kids 3d so significant change of pace and i certainly appreciated it i don't know if i would have ever discovered or watched this movie without this podcast uh but i definitely like the change of pace for sure good i'm glad you liked it because this, this seems more up your alley than mine i liked it also i have some issues with it but i think this will tell you or give an idea of why Roger Ebert declared Sylvester Stallone the new Marlon Brando, which is why we call these this the new Brando period. It's the, this is the period of movies when he was still fresh and new. I think this was his first movie after Rocky. And, you know, still considered a serious actor. I mean, regard, obviously, regardless of what his actual talents, where they lie, at some point, the perception, the public perception of Sylvester Stallone became, oh, he's the guy who does action movies. And, you know, obviously... We're counting his body count, so there's a certain you know <laughs> right. validity to that. But this is before all that, and you can see you know you can see a potential other path for him here. I think he's very good in this movie. It's obviously very loosely based yeah. on uh, uh, um, Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa. That's kind of one of my gripes with it. Is it's like either make it about Jimmy Hoffa or don't. It's just so they can do whatever they want, basically. But it's just kind of like a strange like. Well, that's obviously I don't know much about Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, so have you not seen Hoffa starring Nicholson and DeVito? I've never seen Hoffa, and also I didn't realize that The Irishman, which is the new Scorsese movie, which will be out when this goes up, or like out soon at the very least, uh, I didn't know that was about Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, wow. All right, well. So the timing is perfect. I didn't know that when I picked this. It was like, oh, yeah. this is some nice serendipity. I, d- I definitely have seen Hoffa, and I, I did kind of chuckle a little bit watching this, that, man... <laughs> The last shot of co- uh, was maybe the the most annoying. If if you're <laughs> sure. going to be annoyed, it's not being actually about Hoffa, but being about Hoffa. Well, wait, which last shot? The the shot of him being shot, or the shot of the bumper sticker? No, the bumper sticker. Okay, yeah. It's almost like a joke. It's almost like a weird punchline. It kind of is. Yeah, it's, it's. It doesn't fit the tone of the movie either in some ways. But no, it doesn't work if you don't know about Jimmy yeah, Hoffa. Yeah, it re- you're right. It really doesn't if you don't know who the character is based on loosely based on that makes zero sense yeah that's kind of my gripe with this movie is it's it needed to kind of forge its own path rather than just make it totally fictional or make it about jimmy hoffa it's just it can't pick a lane and i think that hurts it in a couple of ways okay but um i mean otherwise i think this is a very good movie i I like the first half better than the second half there's there's kind of a split right down the middle of this movie i can see that i I would round it out, kind of the opening here of saying, I do think it's a, a very good uh, performance by Stallone, and actually good performances by most in the movie. Yeah. And, it, you know, it probably suffers a little bit from being unoriginal, original material, if if that's such a thing, that, you know, it's kind of loosely based on uh, Jimmy Hoffa's life story. 
But I think it is a pretty engaging kind of look at a fictionalized story of the labor movement, in, or at least a portion of the labor movement in America. Yeah, and I think the, the, the biggest strength of this movie is it's obviously not factually correct and it's not trying to be, but I think it's, it's correct in the sense of I think what it's portraying, like the reasons and the kind of the logic behind how the mob got tied up with the labor movement. And like the, 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 you can see the logic behind it, even if this isn't a true story or telling anything like a factually, maybe it's the the progression, right? That it it makes sense that, yeah, it does a good job illustrating why something like this could happen both fictionally. And obviously you could apply that to the real world. You, You really see the steps of, how that happens, and you know, I think in this movie, uh, what's what's Stallone's character's name? It's obviously not Jimmy. Johnny Kovac. Kovac, yes. And where's Johnny? <laughs> right, where's Johnny? And what I was thinking is, here's Johnny. That's the other thing with that bumper sticker that I was. I should have used that in The Shining. He could have come in with a bumper sticker. Where's Johnny? No, he could have been like, I have the answer to this bumper sticker. <laughs> Here I am, <laughs> yeah. chopping through this door. Yeah, I don't think Fist was enough of a hit. I mean, it did okay, I think, but I don't yeah. think it was enough of a hit for The Shining to be no, able to I reference don't think it. So. But anyway, my point is, I I think it does a very good job illustrating how the labor movement got corrupted by the mob and all this. And you know, it, it's you know, it really you can really see the, the logic behind it. Even though he doesn't want to kind of go in that direction, he kind of is forced to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the consequences of that. Sometimes the deals that you make, they're, you know, necessary deals to progress and move forward your agenda. But sometimes they have consequences that may not, you know, manifest until decades down the road. And I I think one of my gripes with this movie is I don't think they take it far enough in either direction. Because Kovac is kind of portrayed as a good man, essentially. He's whatever he Mm. does, he makes these deals with the mob, but he's doing it for his guys. He's heroic for most of the movie. For most of the movie. But even up until the end, because he tells his buddy, do what you got to do. And it's like, I, I feel like this the story needed, needed to either go full Godfather and just make him own it and have him right. be totally corrupted. Or have him rebel more you know, against the mob at the end and really make a stand and say, ah, I shouldn't have done this and what was I thinking. He's just kind of in the middle. It's just kind of wishy-washy. Yeah. And He's heroic. Up until a point that he lets somebody else really do the dirty work to be the hero. Exactly. Yeah. R- rather than do it himself. But he also doesn't turn completely villainous. And in, rea- in reality, it's more likely that he probably would have sided with the mob. Yes. I mean, that, over that, Abe. that's the thing is, uh, you know, I, I, I get the sense that Jimmy Hoffa was way, yeah. way more ensconced with that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this, this is trying to portray this figure in a, as heroic a light as possible. Which is, I, I wonder if that's Stallone's doing. That's interesting, yeah. Because he tends to want to be likable. He doesn't want, I don't think Stallone wants to be Michael Corleone. He doesn't want to have a, the fall from grace. His yeah, characters never right. do that, you're even when right. they're kind of bad guys. Uh, the only reason I would have wondered whether or not that was the case here is this was just earlier in his career. I could definitely see, you, you get into when he's a movie star? No, he probably doesn't want to be that. But at this point... I could yeah. see where he would have been more open to it, but you know, maybe he never was. Yeah, I'm sure we'll dig into the story more. Yeah. Should we get started? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What day is it? What year? April 28th, 1978, is noted. So this did better than I would have necessarily guessed. You had referenced the box office just before we uh, moved on here. Uh, what I saw was approximately $11 million budget and a total box office of just over 20 point, almost 20.4 million dollars. So. Yeah. 
actually did 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 make money. Eleven million is actually pretty cheap, all things considered. This is yeah. a long movie. It's got some pretty big stars in it, and it's a period piece. Period piece. So you've got, uh, you know, it was obviously a little bit closer to the period when it was shot, but still a period piece that was, you know, fifty years later for the most part. Yeah, closer than now, but still yeah. fifty years ago is a lot. It's that's you basically I, have to redress everything. Yeah, and I did read that they had to shoot in Des Moines, I think, in Iowa. That sounds uh, right. Yeah, uh, I know it was in Iowa. And I think it was Des Moines, basically, to try and find. Or was it Dubuque? Maybe it was the Dubuque. Yeah, I, I, I also right. read this trivia and also can't remember the town. I think it might have been. Dubuque. I think it was Dubuque, and mostly to try and um, there were too many radio and/or TV towers in Cleveland proper, so yeah. Dubuque, Iowa, apparently was not <laughs> advanced and developed enough in 1978. <laughs> I'm sure they had to take down a couple of towers. It's probably just fewer. You know, like it there, could be. I did read that trivia, and it did kind of seem like a shot at. That Dubuque. A little bit. A little bit. I'm sure Dubuque was modern in the 70s. (laughs) Whatever. All right. So with the box office when you're in the 70s, we've got to go to just kind of the top 10 uh, because there's not the weekly gross that you can find. Top 10 for the year. Yes, for the year. So I'll I'll let you uh, wager a guess what the number one movie in America was in 1978. Not sure you're going to get this one. You'd probably guess number two. 78 is tough. Number two is a movie that you really like. I'm going to guess Jaws 2. Jaws 2 is in the top 10, but it's much further Okay, down. I'm glad that it was 78. I wasn't even sure that it was that no, year. Oh, you got the year right. Um, I don't even know what would have been out in John Travolta. Oh, uh, Saturday Night Fever? No, Grease. Oh, Grease. Grease is a, Saturday Night Fever seems earlier than this. Yeah, Grease is the number one movie in America in 1978 with almost $160 million in total uh, domestic box office. Good for Grease. It's one of my least favorite movies. It's funny. I've never seen Grease. Never had any interest, and it sounds like from your summation, I don't need to. I think, actually, the music is very good. Like, I, you know, we've talked about our the musicals are really not our cup of tea on yeah. this podcast, but I've seen my fair share of musicals, and I think the music is good, but every character in that movie is loathsome. <laughs> I hate every single person in that Funny movie. that you mentioned. There's a couple of TV shows that I have that like that, and I'm like, why am I watching this? I yeah. dislike almost every one of these characters. <laughs> that, you'll feel that way about Grease. I dislike every character in Grease. All right. Well, number two is a movie that I think is near and dear to your heart. Superman was the number oh, two movie man. in America. How, how could I forget Superman? Uh, just over $134 million in 1978. Number three... It's a comedy that I, I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm not a huge fan of. I know it has, it's in the all time grades for many people. Animal House. I'm just. Oh, I'm, a, I'm with you. I'm not a huge fan of Animal yeah, House. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Animal House either. Uh, it's, a, it's a boomer thing. Like older be. people, I think, are way into Animal House. I, and it's, not, it's not that I, I don't think it's bad. I just, it's not, it's not one that I think of as an absolute great comedy. There's many more comedies yeah, or yeah. other comedies, I should That's say. That's basically my take on it, too. I was going to guess Silver Streak. When you said comedy. Oh, I wow. I this. have seen Silver Streak. I haven't seen that in forever. Uh, I only rented it, or actually took it out from the library. It was to help me solve a puzzle for a geocache, actually. It was <laughs> all, all movies filmed here in Chicago, and it had like trivia. I'm like, I've never seen Silver Streak. Luckily, the library somehow had Silver Streak. Okay. Uh, so that was number three at $120 million. And it's a Animal big, House, not Silver Streak. Yes, no, <laughs> Animal House. It's a big drop-off down to number four at $85 million. I don't know this movie. Every Which Way But Loose. That's uh, Clint Eastwood and a Orangutan. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I've never seen it, but I'm familiar with it. I, I know of it. I don't know anything about I th- it. I think he's a... It's like Turner and Hooch, except it's an Orangutan. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. 
I've never seen that it. That sounds like that Saturday Night Live skit that you talk about of just spinning kind of, the wheel. Yeah. All right, we've got Clint Eastwood and orangutan. <laughs> buddy it's cop movie. Buddy cop movie. Go. Go. Yeah, it absolutely is. I, I've, I know there's also a sequel called Every Which Way You Can. I'm I'm aware of these movies. I've never seen them. All right, number uh, number five. Heaven. <laughs> it's number four for the year. Every Which Way You Lose. Number $85 million. <laughs> I mean, Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood was a pretty big star at the time. So. Yeah, and I'm sure it was sort of... Sort of like Schwarzenegger's comedy. I'm guessing. I don't know anything about it, but completely playing against type. Yeah, and so, I'm sure. You know, there was the uh, novelty factor, I'm sure. That I'm sure. That's, that's true. All right. Number five, Heaven Can Wait. Never have seen it. Uh, number six, Hooper. Don't know it. Yeah. I've heard. I think that's Steve McQueen, or maybe I'm thinking of something else. I don't know. Number. I shouldn't. I shouldn't <laughs> I'm like 40% sure, so I shouldn't even open my mouth. <laughs> number seven is Jaws 2. So okay. apparently. Uh, the sequel was not quite the blockbuster that Jaws was. No, and for good reason. It's, I've it's never a, seen it. Is it's an it inferior terrible? movie. It's not terrible. It's just it's just a real copycat. It's basically the same okay. movie over again, except it's only Roy Scheider this time. Because everybody get else, everybody else back. Well, I mean, some characters were dead, and oh, some some true. Uh, yeah, um, uh, Richard Dreyfus didn't want to come back. It's uh, the, the only reason why I have fondness for it is because directed by a guy named Juno Schwarick, who I think was a French guy. And he directed a movie called Bug, which I think I've talked about in the past. Yeah, I don't know it. It was a movie I saw late night in like when I was like eight or nine years old on cable, and it freaked me out <laughs> so much. And then for years, I had no idea what movie it was. I, was. I saw some movie with bugs. They were killer bugs. And finally, like because I was... You're a grown man, and you found it? Literally like five, four years ago or something like that, I was... Googling for some reason I was on Jaws two IMDb and I'm like I wonder what this this guy directed other than Jaws two and I saw a movie called Bug I was like no I and then I clicked in it and I was like it was this I, is it it really was so Jaws two led me to like my biggest movie revelation oh. so I, I have certain fondness for it I because can of understand that. that. All right, number eight is a movie that I know and I actually had a fondness as a kid for because I saw it many times Revenge of the Pink Panther. Okay, I've never seen any of the Pink Panther. Really? Movies. Oh, yeah. I. I think that the reason I, I really wound up loving Dr. Strangelove is that as a kid, I saw the Pink Panther movie so many times. Subconsciously, I was a Peter Sellers fan, and I just didn't even know it because I saw the Pink Panther movie so much as a kid. I, I really like Peter Sellers, too. I should probably see those. Is that the one where they piece it together from like clips from prior movies? Isn't I, there one they made after he died? Yeah, but it's not Revenge. I, th- I think it's the there's a third one, and I think it's that one. Okay. Uh, number nine, I have seen, this is another one that I know is supposed to be a great movie. I don't get The Deer Hunter. I really don't. I remember liking it when I saw it in college, but right. not, not enough to like see it again or yeah. anything. And number 10, I've seen it, but you've seen way more of these. Hollow, the original Halloween. Oh, of course. $47 million. I just bought that on 4K Blu-ray, so I should have remembered Halloween. Yeah. It still holds up. I watched it, and I was like, this is still a great movie. Yeah. I, the Halloween. I'm not a huge fan of those movies, but I do remember that. That one is a good good you know, horror genre movie. It's a it, good movie. It's not even just for that genre. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It basically created that genre of the slasher movie yeah. that all the copycats are, are you know, and those Friday the 13th movies are uniformly garbage i enjoyed them but the the halloween movies even the bad halloween movies have some kind of some value legit quality yeah all right except for halloween uh, what's the one after h2o is it jason takes manhattan no i'm talking about a halloween movie oh uh, i'm sorry god halloween resurrection the one after h2o is trash that's the only halloween movie that's that the is one between absolute. what just came out and h2o right 
No. So there was one that just came out not that long ago. Like, yeah, and that one's great. Yeah, and then so the one before that wasn't that the one you're t- resurrection. No, the ones before that were the remakes uh, by Rob Zombie. Oh, yeah, there's more than I know. But no, the one before that is the one I'm talking about. I think it's Halloween Resurrection. Okay, I think it's got Buster Rhymes in it. It's garbage. It's the only Halloween movie that is just straight up trash. <laughs> the rest of them are all good in some way or another. All right, so seventy-eight, seventy-nine, and the Nielsen ratings. Laverne Shirley is the number one show in America that year. Okay, uh, Three's Company. That's a show that I actually saw a lot in syndication. I don't know why I like Three. I have a soft spot for Three's Company. This is a funny show by the standards of like cheesy 70s sitcoms. Yeah. Uh, number three, I have seen. I'm not a huge fan of Mork and Mindy. Really? Yeah, I'm not oh, a huge I Mork lo- and Mindy. I loved Mork and Mindy really? as a kid. I never was a big Robin Williams fan. Yeah, you've said that many times on this yeah. uh, podcast. Just never was. Just constantly speaking of the dead. I- <laughs> I only gave you a hard time because I knew you'd be annoyed. So the <laughs> spinoff, Laverne and Shirley, is number one. Happy Days is tied with Mork and Mindy for the number three show in America. Technically, Mork and Mindy is also a spinoff of Happy Days. Is it? Yeah. Because Robin Williams played that character on an episode of Happy Days. That's where that's did, how it started. I didn't realize and that. And they're like, everyone loves this character. So make it his own it show. show. Yeah, exactly. Number five is a show I've never heard of, Angie. Don't know it. Yeah, I've never heard of that either. Number six, 60 Minutes. Number seven, MASH. Number eight. Another spinover, spinover, spinoff. <laughs> the Ropers is the number eight show. Yeah, uh, number. So that that shows that it must be a furly year on Three's Company. Yes, <laughs> because the Ropers are off doing their own thing. <laughs> number nine, All in the Family, uh, which was tied with Taxi for number for number ten. Taxi's a show I've always meant to go back and see. I've never. I've watched seen any a few taxis. episodes, but not not enough to really know whether or not it's supposed to be great. I've never yeah. watched any of it. All right, so in the history front, the S&P 500 is at 90.25. March 28th, the city of San Francisco signs the United States' most comprehensive gay rights law. It's actually relevant as you get further into the history in April. Uh, April 2nd, Dallas, starring Larry Hagman, premieres on CBS. <laughs> Wait, that's news? That's in the news segment, not in the like, it is. television You told segment. me that there was two. I, didn't, I had all downer stuff, so come Fair on, enough. Dallas is premiering. Well, since, since you've made an adjustment... I, ha- I I also made an adjustment on the soundboard. Uh-oh. So it sounds like we're not going to use this this episode, but... Debbie Downer? In the answer, because if, if you are come you in... Debbie Downer me? No, I, I have a sound drop. If you come in with too much bad news, I, I have you have some leeway. Okay. But in this segment, if you come in with too much bad news, I'm going to play this. Oh, death and grief and sorrow and murder. <laughs> So it's, you've already averted disaster, so okay. I just wanted to establish that this is here. This, this is the sword, sword of Damocles is hanging over you right Thank now. Thank you, Larry Hagman and Dallas, for saving me this, this week. <laughs> All right. Also on April 2nd, Velcro is introduced to the commercial marketplace. So really, two, I got two upbeat items right, right off the bat. <laughs> sure. Now I feel like you're, you're swinging too far in the other direction. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right, so... No, do what you want. I, I, this you, is my segment. This Leave is your segment. I reserve the right to play sound drops sarcastically yes. to make fun of your segment. April 3rd, Annie Hall wins the Oscar for Best Picture. Diane Keaton is Best Actress in Annie Hall. And maybe this is why Richard Dreyfuss didn't want to come back for Jaws 2, because he was busy winning Best Actor for The Goodbye Girl, which I have never seen. I've never seen that either. Yeah, that's the year that Star Wars was nominated for, really? for Best Picture and lost. And I remember, as a kid, I always... Was angry at Annie Hall like because it beat Star Wars because I was such a Star Wars fan as a kid. Eventually, I saw but, it and went like, "Okay, Annie Hall's a good movie." I mean, there's other reasons to be angry at, at Annie Hall. Yeah, Annie I was gonna Hall. say. Yeah, obviously now <laughs> it takes on a different tenor. It's not like uh, Manhattan though. Have you ever seen Manhattan? No. Oh my god, watching that now, knowing what we know about Woody Allen, the whole movie is about him dating like a 16 year old, 
and, and kind of it, it paints it in a relatively positive light. And he he must have been in his late forties at the time. Was it Brooke Shields plays the girl? I forget, but it's yeah, yeah. I think it's Brooke Shields. Oh my god, I watched that one. Like, oh, how is this even in circulation? How how is it possible that I was able to rent this? <laughs> yeah, so I'm at sorry, least it, Annie Hall doesn't have that. I'm sorry, it's completely inappropriate. But all I can think of is Rainier Wolfcastle. Now my Woody Allen impression. <laughs> <laughs> April eighth, uh, regular radio broadcasts of British Parliament proceedings begin. April tenth, uh, Volkswagen becomes the second. A foreign automaker to open a plant in the United States, and it is near New Stanton, Pennsylvania. Uh, The unionized plant uh, wound up closing in 1992. I looked up the first foreign automaker to have a plant in the United States was in 1921, and it was Rolls-Royce. Wow. Yeah. That's a big gap between those two. <laughs> it's a big gap in both the number of years it took to get a US, another U.S. plant. I don't, the Rolls-Royce plant wasn't open. It was only open a few years. Sure. Uh, well, based, yes, and then in terms of like the end product, big gap. Based on the timeline we see in Fist, I assume Rolls-Royce's plant was not unionized. Uh, no, it was not. <laughs> every, Speaking of which... Uh, every time we're talking, by the way, all I can think of is Union Kingpin Homer Simpson and Mr. Burns... Oh, we should have listened to that young man instead of walling him up in the old Coke oven. <laughs> I don't remember that. Really? That's the episode with the uh, the best of times, blurst of times. So that's that's oh, the one thing I it, think of in that episode. It's Yeah, it's when Mr. Burns as a little boy sees uh, the, the laborer being dragged out. What's in your pockets? Atoms! Atoms! Oh, the workers of the world, we're going to unionize, but that won't go too far. And, and the <laughs> Japanese will eat us for lunch. The Japanese, those—I think it's those sandal-wearing goldfish tenders. I don't remember that. I don't need okay. to watch that episode again. The uh, negotiations between Burns yeah. and Homer—like that's all—that's the only part of that episode I remember. Union- also, dental plan is that episode. So long, dental plan. <laughs> all right, April eighteenth, the United States Senate votes sixty-eight to thirty-two to turn the Panama Canal over to Panama uh, on December thirty-first, nineteen ninety-nine. Okay. April 25th, the U.S. Supreme Court rules that women cannot be required to pay more into pension plans than men. Oh, interesting. I would have never guessed that so even I, was a thing that happened in the first place. I looked it up, so the the thought, and I, I do kind of understand the logic. The logic was that women actually live longer and hmm. so are more likely to collect more in benefits, so sure. certain pension plans were trying to charge them more. For likely for the likely greater benefit that they were going to obtain, but it was the Supreme Court ruled can't do that. Hmm, okay. Also on April 25th, St. Paul, Minnesota repeals its gay rights ordinance after Anita Bryant's campaign in 1977 to repeal similar laws in Dade County, Florida. So what San Francisco is enacting, it is being taken away yeah. in other parts of the country. Progress isn't always it's one not direction. Linear. No, yeah. it is not. Uh, April 27th, Afghanistan President. Sardar Mohammed Daoud is overthrown and murdered in a coup led by pro-communist rebels. Wow. Yep. Is that... <laughs> Are you just going to be right... clear? To be clear, Mike pointed at the button. No, it's I... a bad deuce. <laughs> Should I? Oh, death and grief and sorrow and murder. <laughs> I'm not going to hit it every time you have any kind of... It's just, that's, that's it's, fair it's enough. in excess. Too many stories. That's I hear all. you. Uh, this actually has not been that much of a downer uh, history segment. Also, I, I assumed you avoided it because I, I teased you about it last bit, episode. A bit. Yeah. Uh, and then, so the New York Times bestseller is Bloodline by Sidney Sheldon. Didn't know it. That's an author that keeps coming up, and I, I don't know. 
I, lo- about I looked Sydney up Sheldon. this book and uh, it got turned into a movie, but it also did not sound like a he, very good movie. He's, his name has come up on at yes. least three or four episodes. He had to have been a very big author yeah. in the mid to late 70s and probably into the 80s. That was before. See, now the only author is like there was, the, the firewall happened in the mid 80s where it's like Stephen King, Michael Crichton, like, like only like four authors uh, matter anymore. Hold, hold on. Um, oh, John Grisham, Dean Koontz, Dean Koontz, <laughs> and then for, and, and Danielle Steele. Daniel Steele, yes, yeah. those, those are five. Uh, no and, other authors are remembered. And my last item is the Billboard 100. I'll give you a shot. It's 78. Jeez, it's got to be some kind of disco thing. BGS. Uh, okay, it, well, it's too late for staying alive. Is it Nights on Broadway? Close. Night Fever. Oh, Night Fever. Yeah. I okay. don't even know how that song goes. That's basically a sequel to. Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, because it's like, Night Fever, Night Fever. I think that's that one. Yeah, you know better than me. I, I had no way to wager a guess. That's a decent song. Yeah, so that was what was going on in the world in April of 1978. All right, great. Let's move on to the big picture. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. All right, the big picture. This is where we discuss the plot of the movie. Yep. So we, yeah, Fist, we could pretty much just refer you to the Wikipedia page for James Hoffa, and that would be... No, not necessarily. I think this movie is taking a lot of liberties. Uh, it is. So you want me to give you the, the Olsen? Yes. This is, I think, three sentences. So hopefully, is this acceptable? This is a, this is a pretty long movie, so I'm surprised okay. you even I, were able to condense it to three. I tried. All right, here we go. Uh, this movie is the life story of Johnny Kovac, a Cleveland working man that becomes a union kingpin. I did have to work that in. He organizes truckers starting in Cleveland and expanding into the entire Midwest. His rise is aided by a, how shall I say, mafia crime syndicate. It expects something in return, such as favorable loan terms from union pension funds. It is almost as if he was James Hoffa. Yes. That was five sentences, by the way. It was five. I realized as I was going through. <laughs> That's fine. I think it's a pretty good summary, This though. is a very long movie, so five sentences is pretty yeah. good. Like I said, I like the first half better than the second half. I mean, the rise of this kind of union leader and... <clears throat> the the humble beginnings up through yeah. to you know having this position of power. Yeah, I mean, I think it does a great job of illustrating the working conditions and kind of what the the push. <laughs> you sure. Know, yes. Notice how I use push there. Yes, you got to have push. You got to have push. But the push for the labor movement and you know the reason why it you know moved forward and what it was really fighting for. Yeah, the movie does a good job of illustrating all of these factors. I mean. It's obviously this kind of a microcosm, you know, it's just kind of, to start it's showing this, like, food plants or whatever, that's like they're shipping tomatoes or something, and, uh, you know, see instances of guys getting screwed over. Frank McRae is there. Oh, I was so excited to see Frank McRae. Yeah. I mean, that's already taken, I don't have a ton of little details, but. I don't either, actually. What a, what a ray of, I was like, oh, it's Frank McRae. Oh, he's not in it very much. It's a bummer because, so, Stallone's playing uh, Johnny. His buddy Abe is there. They both work at this uh, factory, this food food processing plant. I don't yeah, even know what it would be. Yeah. And then Frank McRae, they make friends with Frank McRae, and then it just illustrates, you know, Frank McRae drops a bunch of crates because the boss makes him carry a lot, like, oh, way more than he should be. And way then... more and haphazardly stacks them. That's one of my biggest peeves. It's like, no, no, no. If you would have stacked them neatly, then the boss might have had something to say, but they're sure. haphazard on there. The boss is rushing them, though. He's like, you, you carry more than that. Oh, Hurry up. I'm and... not blaming McRae. The boss is the one who throws him on top of there. Right. Well, I think technically Stallone, uh, Johnny, is the one who stacks him up there, but I don't think they're, so. they're I, being hurried. I think it but... was the boss. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Either way, I I agree with you. It was the boss's fault. Oh, 100%. But then Frank McRae drops all this stuff because the boss makes him carry too much. And then it's like, it's coming out of your pay, buddy. And all this tension boils over and they kind of revolt and start throwing food around. Kovac just starts 
ditching stuff right on the <laughs> sales floor until Mr. Wilhelm yes. makes an appearance, which, oh, man. <laughs> a lot of uh, familiar faces <laughs> yes, in this movie, surprisingly. I mean, I when you had picked it, and I, I think it mentioned, you know, I'm like, oh, Peter Boyle, and he's not in it nearly as much. Him and Rod Steiger. Rod Steiger, I, I'm like halfway <laughs> through the movie. I'm like, this guy's second billing. When is he going to show yeah. up? I mean, they're both very important characters. Absolutely. But, yeah, small parts. Relative speaking. to their billing, without a doubt. Yeah, because essentially Stallone's in almost every scene, and it's that it's the movie's about him more or less for the most part. But so in the in the sequence we're talking about of establishing the the unfair conditions and what's going to ultimately motivate uh, Stallone's character to become a union organizer, you've got a Frank McRae sighting, you have Mister Wilhelm from Seinfeld, yes, and you've got Bud Fox's boss from Wall Street. And Mike is wearing a blue star. Yeah, I'm wearing a blue star. Uh, I didn't even t-shirt. realize. Yeah, it was in honor of, of that guy, and I've got it in the little details. But I'm like, Johnny, you can't trust this guy. Bud Fox couldn't trust him. I, There's it, no way you can trust this guy. I don't, I don't know that reference at all. Oh. I, I don't watch Wall Street enough to recognize Bud Fox's boss. One, at least one listener of this movie will, would immediately know who that actor was. Um, oh, wait. No, I know who you're talking about. Now that I think about it. He's the boss's boss. He's the guy who comes in and makes peace. He, Yeah, he. I know him from. Return of the Living Dead. That'll tell you the difference between our movie tastes. <laughs> I, I lean more towards the horror stuff. Well, that's more of a comedy, and you lean more towards Wall Street. Uh, yeah, so the character... I don't have but, the actor's name. I should have. The character's I, name in this is Andrews. Okay, I'd know that actor's name if I heard... Oh, uh, James Karen. That's it. Yep. Because he uh, passed away last year, and when uh, they showed him in the Oscar tribute, they showed his clip from Return of the Living Dead. And I remember tweeting... Over at the Wall t- Street? Come on. Well, I remember tweeting at the time, like, that's either in terrible taste or amazing. <laughs> In his, in his, he's in dead. memoriam, he's dead, and here's a clip from in the Return of the Living Dead. It's like I don't know if that's appropriate, um, but yeah, I forgot he's in Wall Street. Now I remember him in Wall Street. Oh I, yeah, I totally he's got remember. a very important role in Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I the minute I saw him, I'm like, you can't trust this guy. <laughs> he said he loved Bud Fox until he found out Bud Fox was a crook, and then he says, "I knew the minute I laid eyes on you, I couldn't trust you." Well, also, he's kind of indirectly responsible for the zombie plague in Return of the Living Dead, so <laughs> yeah, you really can't trust. No, him. you can't. Uh, but like in that, that's probably I don't know two minutes of the movie. It was just rapid fire, and I could not. I wish I could say I could not get past. I know his name is Mike Monahan or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so he's a he's a truck driver and he actually is a union delegate and he's he subsequently to this will recruit Stallone's character and Abe to yeah. become organizers because he witnesses the kind of revolt they throw a bunch of food and then Mike Moynihan who is in the truckers union yes he's just there to pick up the food and he just happens to witness like oh these guys yeah. are, these guys are really serious <laughs> they mean business like, I, I could use them in my union yes uh, but he's mis- I, I, the entire all of his sequences I'm like no it's Mr Wilhelm. Yeah, I mean he's much younger. It's it, but, but he, he looks, looks kind of the same. What I, I was thinking, I'm like he looked great in Seinfeld, right? Because that was like 14, 15 years later, and he looked exactly the same. He has that that uh, I mean I played that Steve Martin clip earlier. He has that Steve Martin thing where he was like he had silver hair at age like 28, probably. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it was good to see him. No, but I was gonna say back to Frank McRae. It's a bummer because. Johnny and Abe get recruited into this trucker union by Mike Monahan by Mr. Wilhelm, <laughs> and Frank McRae doesn't come along, and you never see him again. It's like, why didn't he get? To, I mean, he, he. I guess he wasn't as involved in their labor strife, which is why Mike Moynihan didn't notice him. Or, I is, mean, it, or is it for other reasons? I, if it's a, if it's for if it's like this is a question, and this is maybe me filling in the blanks unfairly, but uh, you know, it's nineteen thirty whatever. Yeah. most likely it's probably because no, it would be pretty racist. Yeah. That, 
and it, to include Frank McRae is unlikely. I'm not saying that the and that's probably the way the movie just ignores it completely. Yeah, I mean you're probably right. But that, the trucker union. Why. I mean, when when you see the kind of union or yeah. the the meetings, it's pr- pretty uniform. Oh, the, right. That whole room. Yeah. Just, okay. And I don't know actually like the history. I'm sure there is, and I know that the Pullman car operators were primarily black and were unionized. So there certainly were black unions, but I think it had more to do with what jobs, and my guess would be is that it would be right. very difficult probably to be a trucker, is my guess, yeah. if you were black in nineteen, you know, the 1920s and 30s. So yeah. anyway. Would have been nice to have it be acknowledged. It's just a bummer it, he just disappears. Yeah, it disappears, and it's like I, we've already established on lockup. I love Frank McCray. Yeah. And this, so. this is probably – this is the earliest in terms of the year the movie came out because he's also in Rocky Two. That's the following year. So this is probably where Stallone met him, and yeah, it's like, oh, that, you could be well, in Rocky too. I mean, it, this has to be where he met him and brought him into to those other movies. Yeah, I wonder if this is maybe his first movie, or it must be early in his career. It's got to be pretty early. If he's it's a former football movie. player. Yeah, he's the F train, as we <laughs> learned in Lockup. <laughs> so <laughs> we did. Uh, so, so you then transition to Stallone and Abe becoming union delegates, and they're organizers trying to get truckers to sign up yes. to try and organize for them. for the first interstate truckers, which is why it's called Fist. Fist. fist, one fist. I, I'm. I kind of like it. It's yeah. corny, but I kind of like it. I agree. It's corny, but I like it. I, I. I'm a little. I try not to be cynical, but part of me is just like, this movie's called Fist, and that's why they hired Sylvester Stallone to be in this movie because probably they thought having the Rocky in their movie called Fist would somehow have some kind of you know. Drawing power, it, it would over. mislead people into thinking this is another oh, boxing movie. Or something. I don't know about the misleading, but I'm sure. I mean, he was, I'm sure, white hot at the time. Oh, totally. And I do think that the the imagery probably helps. Oh, yeah, that was the boxing guy. Okay, yeah, you're probably fist. right. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have to think there's at least a little bit. It's probably like, oh, he'd be perfect, and also we get this extra benefit. This movie's called Fist, <laughs> and he he played Rocky. But yeah, he it's just the the opening scenes are kind of just. Him and his buddy Abe, kind of recruiting. Their their what's their job? It's like they I, they recruiters. They, that's what they are, and the way they get paid is they basically get a, a dollar amount for everybody every head that they sign up. Right. So they kind of eat what you kill, if you will. I mean, they are true salesmen in a way, but they're selling you know people signing up for the union. Right. And they they get too good at their jobs, and uh, this particular trucking company doesn't take too kindly. And no consolidated trucking. Yes. I think that though the I had read somewhere and maybe it was IMDb, so who knows if it's true, but or maybe I I think I watched the making of on the DVD that you had. I also watched that. I don't remember much from it. The, but, the, yeah. but the thing that I remember is that I I think the only later on during kind of one of the, the union riot, they tear down the consolidated trucking sign that's out front at the gate. I think they only had one of those, so yeah, I yeah. think they had to get that right. Is where I either read or it was in the making of. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> Because, I mean, it's a pretty big budget, but it's not that big a budget where they'd be able to replicate that. And it didn't look, look like that thing was made out of cardboard. They took no. that thing down. It looks like a real oh. steel like archway that they oh, tear down. Yes. I, that looked le- a legitimate fence that w- was constructed for the movie. Yeah. Um, also, speaking of familiar faces, this I didn't realize until I looked up this actor, but the owner of... Consolidated Trucking. Oh, the really old dude? Yes. Ooh. I didn't see anything, so I don't... This is. I You're going to beat me on this one. Uh, he is the priest from Caddyshack who's out golfing in the storm. Oh. <laughs> I didn't recognize him until I looked it up. I'm like, oh, my God, he's the priest from Caddyshack. Are you serious? Yeah, he 100% is. Uh, I, honestly, <laughs> I, it, now it, 
It's but, a very different character. Like this guy's very dour and very like, unhappy all the time. Whereas the priest is like, hey, you know, he's he's like, you know, exuberant. My name's Fred, and I'm just a man the same as you. <laughs> I don't remember that line. Uh, but it's, it's what he's because yes. he has the round of his life, right? Isn't that what's happening? Yes. He's like, I'm not getting off this. Excellency, I'm having the round. Of life. It, the line is excellently fiddlesticks. My name's Fred, and I'm a man just the same as you. <laughs> I'm not familiar enough with Caddyshack to know all the no lines. I had no clue, and did not, I, I'm gonna. I'm elevating Fist a little bit more now that they've <laughs> yeah. got that guy. I love that. Yeah, but here he's just like he's just angry all the time. Oh yeah, he he's my like, glower power. He's basically that. He's role. very much Monty Burns. Yes, which is interesting because as, so as we move along, the the story moves along that Stallone and Abe has been successful in getting a lot of consolidated as well as other truckers to sign up. So there's, there's going to be problems, and they have their first meeting with the Glower Power. When you ultimately get through uh, to the other side of it, and a contract is signed, now there's a, a lot of damage done on both sides. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. But the we don't want to gl- gloss over that stuff. We don't, there's a no, lot that happens. We don't want to gloss over it, but what's interesting is that his son, who's significantly younger than the Glower Power, he's like... He's ready to make deals and live with the union going forward. He's very progressive. Yeah, I think he knows that he's got to put up with them a lot longer. That might like be that true. old guy's out the door. He's not. He's, <laughs> you know, he's being put out to pasture. The son's got to put up with this for twenty years at least. Yeah. You know, so he's 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 got to live with it. Yeah. He has no choice. So, but you're right. There there is an important part character to the story that gets introduced here, and push gets introduced in between the first contract being signed and the initial kind of negotiations that do not go yeah. very well. Well, first they target to Johnny personally because they send a guy trying to buy him off and he yeah. turns the, the guy down and then they just like attack him and like some... Yeah, some, him, some guys want to sign up. Stop. You know, granted, this might be just my cynicism because I, I know, you know, how the union and the labor movement went, but Johnny was very foolish to go walk into a pretty dark corner yeah, by he's, himself. He's trying to make a sale, like you said. He's got a, he's got a guy who wants to sign up. <laughs> he is, but I mean, real organizers, they would have known that that kind of stuff happened all the time. They would never have walked. Sure. Watch your back if you're yeah, going to do exactly. that, at the very least. Yeah, at a, at a bare minimum, because yeah, he, he takes a pretty solid beating, but not as bad as Abe takes. Abe takes a much worse beating. Yeah, Abe gets a broken arm, so... Yes. I mean, it's it's not clear to the timeline. It seems like months and months are passing. So yeah, because he's also trying to date somebody, which I, I yeah. don't want to spend too much time on that plot line. There's a it, there's a love story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not generally much to talk a waste. About. Other I, than I, I thought it might have something more to it because her and her his ultimate wife Anna. Yeah, her introduction. She is work. You know, she she's also in a in a labor intensive job. Yeah, in she's a, a seamstress. Seamstress. I thought that it was going to go somewhere that either she was going to you know be an organized that is completely right. abandoned like immediately well because it's the twenties or thirties or whatever so See, as soon the, as they get married she's no longer working there presumably that is true but she does say because when they're they're on a date and he is not interested in the least of what she has to say yeah but she's saying how you know a couple of uh, women that she knows that work there tried to organize a union and now they can't get a job anywhere and she's basically saying hey. I, it would be great if you could help me. He is not interested in the least, and then that entire thing just got dropped. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that. I don't remember when that conversation happens, but there is a little bit of a mini arc where Johnny's kind of learning how to stop being so self-centered when it comes to her. Like, uh, and there's some cute stuff. I, I think the love story works fine. It, it is kind of stock. It's just like, okay, here's the part where there's a love story, and I think you know, coming after Rocky, which is so much better. I mean, it just this doesn't hold up as far as love stories no. go. But 
there's good stuff. I like the part where she's like, all right, we'll go get some ice cream, but no hands. He's like, all right, I guess no, no hands. And he, he he opens the car door with his elbow. And like, oh, that's cute. It's going to be hard to shift, I think, is what he says. So <laughs> I, I, that, well, he says, that stuff with Stallone did work very well. And then she's like, because he just like shows up at her door a day early. And he's like, our date's tomorrow. Like, oh, I thought we'd do it tonight. And he's like, oh, get out of here. Oh, is your mother in there? <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe I'd go with the original that's, model. That is a great uh, line. Um, yeah, there, there's funny stuff. And then she's like, you got to act right. You know, talk to my mother. Like, you know, bring, talk about bring the flowers. weather. Yeah, and he's like, what am I going to talk about? Talk about the weather. And then that scene where they talk about the weather, I found very funny. It was pretty good. Um, he just comes in. I forget what he says. It's just like, it's a lot hotter, hotter than it usually is this time of year. It's so forced. It's the humidity off the lake. I mean, they're just, yeah, it, it's so funny how you know, stilted that conversation is. I really thought that was a funny scene. And then right. there's like the whole like group of people on the stoop. Yes. And he gives them the finger. Yeah. Uh, yeah so it's so individually we, the scenes are fun, but it doesn't really amount to much. It's no, just, and it doesn't okay, advance and, anything. And then they got forward. married, and right. that's it. Yeah. And then so, she, she's just not in the story anymore. No. So that's it. We've just covered the that entire plot line. Yeah, essentially. The love story is... It, it would be nice if she was more of a character in the Full, second yeah. half of the story and to have something not. to... Because it's like, you know, I, like, I was comparing to The Godfather. Not that this is nearly as good, but, uh, you know, that's... About a character's fall from grace and K in that movie, very uh, important. Yeah, is, is the the final shot has to do with her character and yep. what it means for her in relation to Michael Corleone. She's essential all the way through the story to show you know it's essentially a contrast to show how far Michael has fallen. And very easily, Anna could have served that purpose here, and no, she's just literally has she's nothing there. Yeah, uh, she's replaced by pillows eventually. <laughs> <laughs> That's how essential You're her character right. is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the labor strife is... I mean, this this situation gets... It escalates to violence, essentially. Well, with, and it does, but it's because... And that's why I said there's an important character. The character of Doyle gets introduced. Yeah, to, Mike, Mike Moynihan gets killed. So, Mr... Uh, but before then is when Doyle gets brought in, and that's when... The, the escalation back and forth because Doyle and basically the, I, I don't know if it's the Irish mob necessarily, but certainly Irish hooligans. Yeah, he seems like kind of a small town hood. hoodlum. Yeah, yeah it doesn't but, seem... but he's got a crew and the crew is going out and they're, you know, ditching consolidated trucks into right. the... Into <laughs> Driving them into bodies of water. Bodies of water. They're throwing Molotov cocktails. So effectively what they're doing is they're undermining and trying to, you know, destroy shipments right. to try and force the hand of consolidated to actually sit down at the negotiating table. But the point is Johnny brings them in after Mike Moynihan, his mentor is shot. During... No, they're in before that. No, cause that they agreed to do it at the funeral. I'm pretty sure that okay. was the sequence of events. Cause I mean, there is violence, you know, that, cause they're striking outside of the gates and some strike busters show up, and there's kind of a, a, a fight. Oh, no, I think you're and wrong. And Mike Moynihan gets shot. And that's so, at the funeral is when he finally agrees, okay. The, fu- the funeral is when he agrees to sit down with the Italians. No, I think you're, you're, you're moving everything up one stage. He doesn't, get, he doesn't deal with the Italians until they have to sign up guys in Chicago. Remember, there's a group. There's uh, um, Brian Dennehy. Yeah, Brian Denny, he doesn't want to sign. Yeah, so that's when Chicago gets looped in, because it's like this one group yeah, of maybe. guys in Chicago won't sign up. We can't make exceptions. Basically, they're, they're, that, that was later, because at that point, they're you know muscling guys to join. It's not just muscling the, you know, the I, management. I, I'm pretty sure Doyle is already there, and the reason I say that is because when they're out in front and 
things are escalating. Doyle says hi to you know one of the security guards on the other side and, and shows that he's strapped. Oh, that, so what I'm that saying totally is, happens, yeah. but it's after Mike dies. There's two different moments of violence outside of the gates. Okay. The first one, they kind of, like, the strikers all just kind of scatter, and Mike Moynihan's like, you sons of bitches, and he jumps in the car, and he is shot and killed. The big fight you're thinking of happens after that. Okay. Because at that point, all the strikers just kind of scatter and flee. And they tip over their tents and all that. Well, with that, with the death or the you know the murder of Mike Moynihan, yeah. um, regardless, it's a t- turning point. Yeah, and Johnny Kovac, it's an opportunity because he elevates his status. You're making it sound like Johnny is happy that he's dead because now he's he's in charge. Where it's like he saw that he saw Mike Moynihan as a mentor, and he seemed genuinely upset. When he, he was genuinely upset, but it was a it was a huge turning point for Johnny because he's the next most likely. To take over from morning. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I just noticed a note of mine. So the actor plays uh, Vince Doyle, the, the local hood. hood. Yeah. I looked up him on IMDb also, and I found out, uh, you may or may not appreciate this, because I've, I've recently rewatched most of Star Trek The Next Generation. So this, you may or may not have seen this episode or even remember. I've seen it, but I, I haven't yeah, watched I, them recently. I know you watched Next Gen I, back yeah, in the day. Well, when they were live. So. Let's see if you remember this character, because the actor played Vince Doyle. His name is Kevin Conway. Played a character named Kayless, who is essentially Klingon Jesus. No, I don't remember it at <laughs> okay. all. I watched that episode pretty recently, and I, I, when I looked up his IMDb, because you'd never recognize him no. under all that makeup. But yeah, yeah it's a, Klingon it's, Jesus. It's a wow. story where, like, you know, it's like the character who like taught the Klingons how to be great warriors, and then he died. And so I'll be back. I'll come back one day, and then it's like, ooh, he's back, and Worf has to like decide whether he believes it or not. It turned out to be some kind of scheme. I was going to say it was a clone or something. I, I was going to say it sounds like some sort of scam to me. Yes, yeah, so it ended up being a scam. It's good. It's good to know that there are charlatans uh, of Klingons as well that are just oh. trying to fleece people out of money. Sure, I think they were. Yeah, I don't it's even remember. Universal. I don't remember what their scheme was. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's uh, all right. I just thought it was funny. They're like, oh, it's it's Klingon Jesus. <laughs> that's that's what that guy. <laughs> anyway. So from that, ultimately, things escalate on both sides. Uh, There are some significant losses on both sides, but eventually Consolidated capitulates and decides that they've had enough. Yeah. And at some point in there, they introduce Peter Boyle as like the head of the the, the, the union, the national... At the national level. That actually is before Monaghan is is killed. Yeah, Yeah, because they go out for a drink or whatever. Yes. Uh, There's also a second love story that... Is developing between Abe and the waitress that really don't ma- doesn't matter. Oh yeah, the, the, her character even more so disappears. Like, I mean, she, she's there. She has scenes, but what is her purpose in the story? Nothing. I mean, just yeah. No, it's a movie made in the seventies. I mean, it's uh, all relative, but yeah, like no female character in this movie matters in the slightest. <laughs> in this movie, not at all. Yeah, which you know, whatever. It's the set in the twenties. Well, there aren't going to be any women working it in, in, in... It initially is set in the 20s, but we're moving, we're starting to move forward here after the first contract is signed. Uh, there's a little bit more because that's then they start signing like garbage men and stuff, and this is where it starts to become an issue where uh, Johnny wants to... He doesn't want to make any exceptions. Anyone who drives any kind of vehicle needs to join the union. And, the uh, fist. That's <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, Brian Denny, he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, another one that just come. Oh, well, Brian yeah. Denny, oh, a preview he, of First Blood. I was gonna say, <laughs> just just let John Rambo get something to eat. <laughs> right. You want to tell him right here? Just yes. let him get something to eat. The real lesson for Brian Denny, he is do whatever Stallone's character wants, regardless <laughs> of what movie it is. Do what Stallone wants. If the, if they're ever in a third movie together, 
Brian Dennehy. Brian uh, Dennehy things will go so much better for you if he, you just do what Stallone he's asks. He's still alive. They could still make another movie together. And if they do, just know, hey, do what Stallone wants to do. <laughs> I was disappointed he wasn't in Last Blood. That just came out as a recording. Did this. you really think that he would? I was. I mean, at, at some point it became very clear that he wouldn't be. But he's still alive. And yeah, if they're going to call it Last Blood, tie it all together. At some point, I was, I was thinking, like, maybe he'll be in it. But no, no. Maybe he didn't want to be in it as well. So well, I'm going to save my thoughts about Last Blood until we get there. But, yeah. Uh, well, you should. Yes. Uh, so with that, yeah, Brian Dennehy's character in Chicago wants nothing, you know, and it, his logic certainly makes sense. He's like, we've got yeah. a great arrangement, and I'm not having to pay any dues. So why should my guys pay dues when we've got great benefits? Yeah. That's the whole point of the union is getting the benefits. I've already got it, and we don't have to pay any money for it. Yeah. Well, Johnny's point is, oh, well, you, you could help. My guys get what you yeah, already get have. Something and, better, but I mean, then he's like, I got to look out for my guys, and they don't want this. So what yeah. do I care? Well, but he can't make Johnny can't make exceptions. No, he can't. This, this is where the Chicago mob gets tied into. The it. mob wants something in return, of course. <laughs> right? Yeah. So what's uh, Babe Milano? Babe, yes, thank you. It has a great name. Babe, Babe Babe Milano is brought in. Yeah, this actor, I don't, I don't know his name. I, I think he's pretty good. Whoever he is, he is. I like I, this I've never seen him in anything. Yeah, he certainly, particularly at the congressional hearing, he very much had. He he reminded me of in Godfather Two. You know when uh, when somebody tells me to push a button on a guy, Senator, I push a button. He, Babe Milano reminded me him of a hundred percent. Yeah, it's funny because both movies are set you know, like forty years earlier, but both actors so it seems so seventies. Yeah, that paper thin mustache for both of them. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I like how friendly he is. At no point, I mean, he's he's occasionally hinting at, you know, uh, threats and like there's an underlying menace to everything. But at no point is he no, get he, angry or anything. He's just like he's just a friendly guy. What's funny is in a lot of ways he's like Fat Tony on The Simpsons. And so when you know when Homer says, "You mean the mob <laughs> did me a favor?" I can kind of understand it because Fat Tony seems like actually kind of a nice yeah. guy. That's how they get you. Is you <laughs> think that they're your friend, and it's like no, they just want not. something in return. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they they use their mob tactics, which their mob tactics are. Oh yeah, that's that's a rough that moment. Is a, that's a rough moment, especially for you know. I, it probably would have been even worse if that movie had been made, you know, a decade or two decades later. But it, for seventy eight, that was a pretty rough scene. Yeah, they sent some guys to threaten threaten Denny's I, wife. I don't I don't have the the character's name, but yeah, Denny's yeah. wife. And not surprisingly, Denny. Changes his mind as soon as the Chicago mob is threatening yeah. things. So. And then that character disappears from the story. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all here. It's the Johnny Kovac show. Right. It's all here to illustrate the decline that Johnny is in. He's, he's constantly making compromises, and now he's at a point where he's using, you know, at, at first he was just using kind of these hoodlums and this, this uh, criminal element to fight back against management, and now he's using it to force people to join the union. That's. Yeah, and this is also where there starts to become a split, and this is where the story really progresses between Abe, who's more just for voluntary and for the guys, and Johnny, who's kind of wanting to ascend Yeah, in, well, it, in the world. And it is interesting that Abe more or less was okay with it when the mob was fighting against uh, uh, the trucking company. What was it? Consolidated trucking? Yeah. When, when the mob but, was driving their trucks into the river, Abe wasn't saying peep. A- Abe wasn't, <laughs> but his point, I kind of understand it, is that 
the mob was helping for what those guys wanted to do. Right. His, his, and he, his he did point, raise some concerns. He's like, you know, once they get in this, how are we going to be able to tell them from us? And, yeah. yeah. So I guess he did. A, a little bit. But, but he, he went along with yeah, it. Yeah, he, he certainly didn't object all that loudly. But here, what he's saying is now we're, we're trying to force some other working people to do something they don't want to do. This is not what I signed up for. Yeah. So he ultimately, he just... He just bails and says, I'm going to California. I'm out of here. You think that was his objection? Is It was more like an ideological, like, they, yeah. sh- they should have the right to not join if they don't want? Or is it more like, I don't like the idea of you muscling people in to joining? I, I thought that the Abe had a line in there that he, his, one of his biggest beefs, if not the biggest beef, is that they were muscling somebody in that were you know workers like them that didn't, didn't want the union. And Johnny was sticking to, nope. For this to work, everybody has to sign. Right. But my, my question is, is it the muscle part that Abe objected to, or is it the everyone must sign up no, part? I, th- I, think it, I think it was the muscling somebody to, to, to sign. Sure. Okay. Not, not just everybody Abe had to still sign. Wa- Abe still thought that they should join and, and needed to join. He just didn't agree with the methods. That they should do it voluntarily. And if not, yeah, okay. then we're just going to let – we'll let them continue to go down their path. And I think that's where Abe is like – this is more about Johnny and Johnny's ascension right. than it has anything to do with what the workers really want. It's interesting. Like, I don't know enough ab- about like the way unions are structured, but like Peter Boyle at this point is still the head of the national union, yeah. and yet it seems like Johnny is... I mean, I guess it's just in his region or whatever, in the Midwest. It's his, in his region, but some of the way you get to the national level is when you get more and more influence... And the more and more he's signing up in his region, the more influence he's getting. Although I, I do have some questions about when we get to that election. I'm really confused about how it all ultimately worked. But I, I do want because I don't have we're burning through so many of my notes. I don't want to use too many of them. Okay, but so well, I mean, there's a lot to the story. So I mean, I, yeah, you know, essentially, then from there is we move the story forward, and yeah. Johnny continues to move his way up in influence and start. He's starting to. Capture the attention of a United States senator. Yeah, because twenty years go by. We know because Rock and Robin plays on the on our radio. That's how we know it's now. It's now the fifties. And yeah, Rod Steiger as this senator from Wisconsin. I think it was from Wisconsin. No, he's Senator Madison, which is why oh, you thought that's that. right from Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania yes. Yeah, and okay, that yes. Yeah, I also assumed he was from Wisconsin because his name is Senator Madison. He's not, and I, you so know we, what? We live near Madison, you know, it, near enough that it's it's that and the era. Uh, Joe McCarthy was from oh, sure. Wisconsin, and that's probably also, but it's probably Senator Madison is the main reason, but it's also Joe McCarthy. Not, yeah, but this, he's this not, character is not a Joe no, McCarthy. he's not. No, he is not a uh, a placeholder for Joe McCarthy no. the way Kovac is for Hoffman. Quite Hoff the opposite. Nader. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, essentially, now it's been 20 years. And I mean, part of this second half of the story is Kovac's rise to the ultimate power of becoming president of the, of na- the national the president. Uh, not inter- yeah, the national, not international. So. What is it? Oh, no, interstate. Interstate. Me. Federal, uh, the Federation of Interstate Truckers. So, yes. Yeah, I think the Teamsters are the international brotherhood of Teamsters. That's the reason why I'm thinking international. Sure, okay. I mean, yeah, we never really this. said, but this is obviously a stand-in for the Teamsters. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't just call them Teamsters instead of Truckers. There's a T, you could have called it. You know, Federation of Interstate Teamsters. Yeah, I guess they could have. They could have. It I mean, had to be fist, though. You had to end in a T. Oh, yeah. Well, they wanted Stallone giving the speeches. but he's One fist. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the second half, I, like I said, I, I, I found this second half less interesting for a couple of reasons. One, 
I really do think they chickened out on Kovac's character. I think they should have taken it darker. Made he him should have been more villainous, more complicit with what some what the mob's doing. Because the whole time he's kind of pushing back and saying, "Oh, yo, it, when when is it over? When is it over? Yeah, it's when like, are you going to stop asking for favors? Right." And he's kind of portrayed as kind of a victim of all this. And he it, is. The movie lets him off a hook. The hook. And, and I also, I think the real mob. I don't think they would have given as much leeway for as much pushback as Kovac gives. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not sure that he would have gotten as much leeway as he got. Yeah, they're, they're very. Uh, you know, they're very willing to work with them. They're, they're, <laughs> they're very collaborative. This mob. Yes. So yeah, I, I I agree. They're not really portrayed as. I mean, obviously they're capable of violence, but like yeah, I said, I mean, this guy were, just seems like were, a nice guy. They replace people with pillows. Sure. Yeah. That's that's later. Um, but yeah, the second half. A lot of it is there's this negotiation with a national contract. Yep. With, I don't even know what that company is. If it's it's obviously a different company, right? Oh, the national contract is all of the trucking companies. So when you get that big negotiation, oh okay, I don't that, know if I knew that. Yeah, that is all basically all of the trucking companies, or at least the mate. You know, I'm sure that there are some you know small ones, right, right? But all of the major trucking companies are on one side, and then you got Kovac and Fist really on the other side, trying to get not just getting. Oh, I've got a you know contract in Cleveland or, or wherever it is. This is going to be all truckers, all trucking companies. Okay, one contract. And my issue is is that he's got this arbitrary number of a percentage increase that is white. The one thing you said she disappears. She doesn't completely disappear because she arbitrarily comes up with a percentage increase for oh, a raise. Does she come up with that? Number? Yes, she throws it out there at the dinner table. Is that yes. when that happens? Okay. Yes, and then that becomes. There's no logic to it that he's like present that. That was one of my beefs. Is that you know I can understand if he's like no, this is what I've told the guys, and here's the lot. Here's right. the math behind it. No, it effectively is. It's not, it's not like, here's my starting point. It's no, like, this is the line in the sand that I've just chosen. That's been chosen, and it's been chosen because I heard it at the dinner table. Is kind of how the movie presents it. I don't remember her saying that at the dinner table, but I, she you know does. what? I, I don't think I was paying much attention to what, was, what the conversation was in that scene, I'll be honest, because I was distracted. I looked it up, and I was correct. One of those, the kids, like one of his two sons, yeah. I think this is the only time they appear. Yes, that's the other thing. His family really doesn't matter. No, they don't matter. But one of his sons is played by Anthony Kiedis, who went on to become the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Really? Yeah. And I, I look, I, that, guy, that kid looks like Anthony Kiedis. He must be like 14. And I'm like, is that wow. Anthony Kiedis? Because Anthony Kiedis is pretty distinctive. I never. I mean, I don't know the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Sure, well yeah, you're not know. a music guy, but I mean, wow, I, I that's an interesting connection. I was distracted by that, and I had to look it up. So I'm, it, I'm sure you're right that oh, his wife said eight yes, percent. I just didn't even notice. He says it. the number, and he just runs with it. But he was correct. It turns out to be the, the right number because well, he gets they, the, he got it. Like he he declares in their meeting, "I got you eight, <laughs> which is one of the most awkward shots in this movie. It is extremely. I was trying to find that gift. But, but what's funny is that camera's right up in his face. I got you eight. <laughs> That's the one line it's, I'll take it's away. It's too bad because a lo- Stallone, a lot of those rallies and speeches, I found myself kind of actually pumped up yeah, and, and the, kind of ready to But that one in particular, it's they came back with seven. That one is not well written and not well delivered. Yeah, it's uh, that's the worst one. And I it's, gotcha. Eight. It's noticeably awkward and noticeably like. It's, worse written than the rest of them. It's awkward because it's just a random number of eight that right. he's like hammering home on. They're, and they're all cheering like, yeah, it's like, what, you put you put all this in the line for your arbitrary number? I mean, I, I'm, they're happy they got their 8% raise. Yeah. So. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a storyline. And then, yes, the senator on, on the rackets committee. He's continuing to investigate. And ultimately, really what it is, it's a placeholder for the, the investigations into 
fund uh, loans that were made from the teacher, the Teamsters Pension Fund to organize crime for a host of uses, but one of the biggest ones being to own and operate casinos in, in Las Vegas. And that ultimately is what the movie Casino is. A, a big portion of what Casino is about is, is that. Yeah, and I assumed that that was based on, like, this second half does do a pretty good job kind of explaining that relationship in, yeah. in a very broad strokes, obviously. Yeah. There's all kinds of charts behind the senators. It's like, I'm sure there's detail there. I wrote yeah. some of it down, but I don't know if we need to go over. No, I, well, I mean, well, at least for this, you don't. Right. But ultimately, maybe later, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, they made loans that probably legitimately got repaid, but they were, I mean, <laughs> sure. They were financing the mob. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. if there's a racketeering committee, yeah, that's probably the right play. That's yeah. the right subcommittee to be. Uh, requiring testimony from Babe Milano and Johnny Kovac. Yeah, totally. And also uh, the Cleveland guy. What's his I, Vince, right? Vince Doyle. Yeah, I, I, oh, like, I like him. His, and, his, his testimony is outstanding. <laughs> so get, state your name, please. I, I refuse to answer on the grounds that I might incriminate myself. I'm sorry. Is there <laughs> any question I could ask? Yeah. Uh, I, I and like his it. answer is no. That's what's <laughs> outstanding. Basically, you can't ask me any question that I might not incriminate yeah. myself. I really like Rod Steiger in, in that role as as Senator Madison. Yeah. He, he doesn't like. I don't know if I've seen him in many roles like this where he's in a position of power. I almost didn't recognize him. I he's didn't. Usually, rec- I'm going to tell you right now. I didn't recognize him at all. Yeah, he's usually kind of like a blue collar. He doesn't play a lot of like senators. And, and well, he did play a mob boss once though. Oh, uh, yes, yes, he did in Specialist. Very poorly. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, he he looked very different by the nineties. Like, yes, he didn't. He must have had a hard drinking life or something. I don't know, but he looked very weathered yeah. by the time we got to the nineties. <laughs> he, he looked great in this. Like he he looks like a vital. Yes, in a way that I'd never seen Rod Steiger. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't I haven't watched On the Waterfront in probably twenty years. Same I, here. Uh, I saw it once. And I'm like, okay, I see why people think that's a great movie. I, to the, it's to the point where now I'm old enough, I probably will appreciate it a lot more. So I don't, I don't remember, but even then, I remember him not seeming like this, like healthy. He looks so, like you know, I don't know. It's just powerful, and it's maybe it's just he's in a position of power. He's playing a senator, um, but he's good in this. I like the, his interactions with Kovac, and they kind of run in. He deliberately, I assume, runs into him in like a restaurant, and they oh, have yeah. this like tense conversation. Yeah. Uh, oh, say say hi to Babe for me, and you know this. I don't know him nearly as well as you. That's right, exactly. Uh, that's good stuff. And, and, I, and what else? What else is there? And I mean, yeah. Ultimately, you have the testimony, and, and the biggest thing, and what ultimately turns Kovac is Abe is meeting with the senator, and ultimately right. is going to testify. Yes. And as you said, they make the choice that Kovac doesn't turn villainous and is not complicit. He tells he tells Abe, "You do what you've got to do," and is basically giving him permission to to expose everything, which is hard to really believe and then ultimately the mob kills abe well but that's the thing is I, I was expecting this character again i think the fact that this is very loosely based on real events and and uh you know god i keep forgetting jimmy hoffa, jimmy hoffa. Uh, i'm tired and also a little sick so my my inability to remember names is like doubly so today <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, the fact that this is loosely based on Jimmy Hoffa probably kept him from going too far in this direction. But I could, I thought it was going to go into a redemption arc where they kill Abe to keep Abe from testifying. I guess this is kind of what happens. Oh no, they, uh, yeah, it's kind of a redemption arc. And he, I, I was expecting Johnny to then spill the beans in the hearing, but he, all he does is kind of, kind of, he has an outburst and he says, you know, whatever. The senator's like, 
I'm gonna hold you in contempt. He's like I have contempt for this. I have contempt for myself. I have contempt for you know, yeah, Babe he, Milano. He basically like he expresses regrets and he has contempt for himself. Right, because the beginning of Kovac's testimony, he's there and the center pretty. It's not the first first line, but he he drops on him that. Oh, you know, this must be. Thank you for testifying. This must be a difficult time since your long time. You know. Oh, right. And and that's when. That's how he learns. Yeah, that's how he learns. And so, in a way, he kind of he doesn't just overtly omit it, which would be complete redemption. But also, he must have known that Abe was in danger, and he couldn't be completely surprised by it. Babe Milano basically tells him this: like, I got to take out your buddy. He's like, don't touch him or whatever. Johnny Stella tells tells him like, leave Abe alone. Well, it doesn't work out. Right. I guess he just assumed that. His friend Babe would listen to him and leave Abe alone? Yeah. Well, I just realized it's Babe and Abe, two characters, right? You're right. I didn't even realize that at the time. Either. Um, but, but he, yeah, he storms maybe. out of the hearing and basically is admitting that, yes, what the senator is accusing me of is true. He doesn't overtly, but he basically does by storming out. And then you cut to he's at home. His wife isn't there. It's just a bunch of pillows. He goes for a pistol and... Yeah, Two guys with shotguns show up. Is blown away in his home, which obviously the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa is mostly how it's like almost all that I knew about Jimmy Hoffa for a long time is he disappeared and no one knows what happened to him. Like I didn't really understand that he was a union leader and okay. like you know until I got older. But you know that was always the big thing about Jimmy Hoffa is where's what, Jimmy? Yeah, where's Jimmy? What happened to Jimmy Hoffa? And in this scenario. He clearly, people would know that he was murdered. There would be his own blood in his home, right? So you, you'd think so, unless they had a really good Winston Wolf to, to clean things up. He must be really good, yeah, because it was a shotgun. But they must have had had some way to get his wife and kids out of there, so they would be able to testify. Like you, someone kidnapped us, and then we don't know why, and then they let us go, or you know, whatever happened. Who knows? So yeah, it was good we, for well, questions because okay. it didn't really make sense. But the, well, let's it, save it then. The, but I think the real story for Jimmy Hoff is he he goes. He's supposed to go to a meeting. He goes to meet somebody yeah. and just never comes back from them. This is my Silk Cozart, so we can save All that right. for later also. But, All right, uh, so that, that's a long plot summary, but it was kind of a long movie and pretty detailed movie. Yeah, so. it was worth walking, uh, talking through the plot. Yep. Uh, one, one detail that I, didn't, that I, I saw in the research is because after Johnny gives a speech, he comes out of the Congress, and there's a bunch of people cheering him on. And, you know, all the union guys are cheering him on, and he kind of, you know, fist, 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 blah, blah, blah. In the home video releases on VHS, that's where the movie ended. Really? And I think it's because it was like two minutes longer than a VHS could hold at a, cer- <laughs> at a certain quality, and so they just ended the movie there. Talk about a different ending. Yeah, absolutely. You should cut something else out. It's kind of an essential part of the movie that, uh, that I mean, I, I guess you could assume that, because knowing what people know about Jimmy Hoffa, you could probably go, like, oh, he'll, he's probably dead the next day. Maybe it would be more interesting to have that kind of maybe slightly Ambiguity. more ambu- ambiguous ending of, like, he's I, probably going to be killed by the mob, but we don't know. It's, it's, it's a little more... It's great on the steps of Congress. Yeah. It feels, I mean, it's obviously supposed to be hollow, like this moment, like they're all cheering him on, but it's, the movie portrays it as a hollow moment, like he's, he has contempt for himself, he's basically just, you know, declared that That he's he's a fraud. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, to end the movie like that is is interesting. That's a great note. So, just something I saw in the the research. Interesting. All right, let's move on to the technology. It's already up in the cloud. What cloud? All right, technology. This is the segment of the show where we discuss how technology might have changed key plot lines, the outcome, or other aspects of the movie. Except in this movie, we have declared that 
when it's a period piece, it really doesn't make sense to do. So I didn't do it. I, I have I have one oh. note. So oh, okay. Uh, most I'm, of the time, <laughs> most of the time, it, I'm the one that comes reverse. up with it. This is awesome. Uh, I'm very excited. I only have one. I mean, it's it's. I think it's uh, fair to say that in this instance, since we talked so long about the plot. That's going to be the bulk of this conversation, and yeah. our segments are going to be a little light. So probably it's fine. Um, it's just one of these movies where I mean, it's a, it's a pretty well-made movie. It's not like there's a lot to like make fun of. No, and there's not a lot to nitpick for the most. Yeah, part. and there's not a lot of like logic gaps or like you know it, it holds together pretty well. So yeah. I, I don't know if there's that much nitpicking to do, like you said. But okay, my one technology thing is there's a moment when Senator Madison shows up at Vince's office. I assume it's like the regional, like yeah, because Vince at some point becomes an official part yeah. of the, the union. This this Cleveland uh, the he, small time thug. He goes from being a hood to a legitimate, well, not businessman, but yeah. a legitimate union delegate. And oh, we did skip over the part where they they force Peter Boyle out, so that, and Vince is kind of behind all that, whatever. Uh, but there I mean. were legitimate reasons, actually, that you know they sure. research, but. Peter Boyle was crooked, so it was pretty easy to force him out. Sure, but I think it's because it Vince is like also he, crooked that he knew about it, right? Isn't that the it, idea? It right? helps, but Abe, Abe also brings one forward, and then they start looking into it. Oh, you're right. Abe is the one. Abe uh, brings one forward. They look into it. They find a bunch, and then it's what's great is he, just before they're confronting him, you basically get that he's a philanderer, too. So, right. I mean, he's ripping off money. He's you know <laughs> using his wife's company to make money, and he's probably also having an affair with his secretary. It's like, yeah. man, they're just piling on. This guy really needs to go. I will say one of the funniest lines to me is when they confront him and there's, he's got his, is his secretary? I didn't yeah. pick up on that. Yeah, I, I thought she's was... like, she's taking notes like stenography to like draft a memo or something. Oh, so. I didn't notice that. Yeah. I, I, I assumed something different. But um, regardless, he's he's having an affair. He's uh, not being faithful to his wife regardless of the circumstances. But they come into his uh, like hotel room and they're like, oh, sorry. And you know, Peter Boyle, she was uh, his secretary out. And I think it's uh, Stallone. He's like, oh, we're not interrupting anything, are we? And he just goes, it'll keep. That's <laughs> <laughs> a little about that. The way he phrases it, just says it, just like, it'll keep. It'll keep. Um, but anyway. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, so actually, two, I have two technology things, because what uh, you the just center. said about Abe reminded me. No, actually, okay. the first thing is, I was very impressed. I mean, this isn't really how things would be changed. I was, I was impressed for the time, for the year this was made, how good the old age makeup was, by and for the most part. I think one my one complaint is that Stallone probably should have worn like a padded suit, like had put on a few more pounds. They comment on it like, "How are you keeping such good shape?" I was just saying because he's played by thirty two year old Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. That's how. And do you, but do you also think that at that point in his career, Stallone was going to want to do that? No, probably not. No, yeah, he wasn't that cop, Copland. I was going to say, looking forward to how he got savage for Copland, yeah, it would probably be a good true choice on his part. The, the, that's the one thing. I mean, they just put like a gray streak in his hair. When like he's twenty years older, no, but Abe Abe's old age makeup is impeccable. Like, yeah, he does. He he looks significantly older. He, that looks like that actor just aged twenty years. Like yeah. it's really amazing. Uh, so that's the one thing. Uh, I don't know if that really fits the segment, but whatever. No, that's it, fair. You reminded me. But the one thing I did have is yeah, Vince says in his office, Senator Madison shows up. He's like, I have a subpoena to see all your files, and he's just like, some <laughs> some burglars came in and took all the files. <laughs> So that's one thing that I definitely noted. Like, you can't get away with that these days. You can't just no, be like, our paper files are, are missing. Someone that, stole them. That is a great point. I hadn't thought about that. And it actually does remind me. It is one of my favorite scenes. Oh, yeah. Sorry, those files. No, we don't have those. <laughs> right. The senator goes, he's got like a list of like seven or eight different yeah. types of files of financial records. Yeah. So you have nothing. No, we had a break. It's a really tough neighborhood. The neighborhood's really going downhill. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's paper thin. This this excuse. It is. This, but, I mean, 
all you those, do is... those are the kinds of things where you said how like I know it wasn't Babe Milano presented, but these these hoods they're kind of, they make me laugh. They're kind of yeah, we had a break. It's a neighborhood. Right. It's a tough neighborhood, Senator. It's really going downhill. Yeah, I mean they're not even trying to convince this guy. <laughs> they just need <laughs> they to. They broke in, and the only thing they t- you filed a pl- and that's the great thing. Right. Hey, Stallone comes in, hey, Vince. You filed a police report, right? Oh yeah, yeah, we filed a police report. Right. <laughs> um, but the yeah. only stuff they stole were your files. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, with the cloud, as as that clip plays, you can't right. get away with that these days. So no, they'll they'll get access to your cloud. Yes. All right. So if that's all for technology, let's move on a little details. That cardboard headstone tipped over. That this graveyard is obviously phony. Still one of my favorite intros. Uh, little details. This is the segment of the show where we talk about the minutia that we found in the movie. Sometimes nitpicking, but sometimes not. Yeah, I've got a, I've got. I mean, it's not always. Sometimes it's things we liked about the movie, the yeah, little true. details that we liked. So that's I've true. got a few things. I've got a few things that I, I really like too that we didn't cover. So okay, I'll let you lead off. Well, let's start with the title card, which I, I thought this movie really started off on the wrong foot, and maybe it's just because it's a '70s movie. But that that uh, that title card, I don't remember it that it's, much. It's uh, it just starts with like shots of like factories and like smoke billowing and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, and and Bill Conti does the score. Um, it's a decent score. It's not all not all that noticeable. Actually, most of this movie is, goes without any music at all. Yep. But you know, the theme comes up and it just goes, just goes like, ba ba ba, and the the, the fist oh, logo yeah, right. goes like gets smaller and then bigger and then bigger. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me of like a seventies cop show. It was just like, yes. you know, ba ba ba, fist in color. You know, it just it really Starsky and Hutch. It really seemed like a cheesy title. Like that is a treatment. Good catch. So, I didn't yeah, think about I that. I thought it was corny. That's a good one. Uh, but anyway, speaking of Bill Conti, I I want to at least uh, acknowledge. Sure. Let uh, the folks know because uh, you know, going to distance podcast, which is a podcast that we're friendly with. Yep. They just did a big interview with Bill Conti, and it's really good, so I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, that's a the big catch, and when I saw it, I immediately wanted to make sure you saw it. I, you would do a good job of watching your your Twitter feed, your personal one. But I'm like, oh, Bill Conti, this is one that Keen would be all over. Yeah, it's a great interview. So. But uh, yeah, Bill Conti, I will say, I I mean, I love the, rant, the Rocky scores, but... Yep. He can be hit and miss. Otherwise, his 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 music. He actually acknowledged it in the interview that his music is always very brassy and very kind. Of, and so it's why it fits well. It's like sports movies. It's why that one scene in Lockup. I love that scene the in football. part. Yeah, the football scene because yeah. like Bill Con- You put Bill Conti music to a sports scene, always works. For a movie like this, it's, it's like, like NFL films. It's very yeah. He would fit right in, you know, alongside Sam Spence, who was the guy who did most of that music. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I, I own I own the album of all the NFL films really? and I listen to it. Why am I, I why am I saying that like I should be surprised <laughs> yeah, by that? It's great music. All right. So my fir- my first three actually were we already covered. It was Frank McCrae. Andrews, who was from Wall Street, and then Mr. Wilhelm. So I'm going to go to number four on what I know is. Okay. So I said, now we know where Lincoln Hawk decided to be a trucker and an arm wrestler. Because there's that scene in the bar where there's that really huge guy I, that wants to arm wrestle first alone. He says, no, no, why don't you arm wrestle Abe? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is perfect. This is where Lincoln Hawk got his start. <laughs> yes. I also made a note of that. Yeah, <laughs> this is the, the beginning of the arm wrestling obsession, first alone. Yeah. But he, Johnny Kovac is no Lincoln Hawk. Oh, no, he's not. Even him and Abe. Together. Well, no, you know why? Because he didn't have the hat to turn around. That that That's was true. the problem. He needed he needed the baseball cap to turn around. Yeah, in the twenties, I guess the casual wearing of baseball caps didn't exist. If you weren't no. playing baseball, you didn't wear baseball caps. No, I wonder when that started. I don't 50s know. Fifties or sixties. I mean, we 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 established on over the top. I mean, that's where the power comes from for I, Lincoln Hawk. I guess so. If he had had a hat to turn around. 
I think he's, his character wears a hat early. Doesn't he wear like one of those like kind of newsy? Caps? Yeah, new. I, can you turn one of those around though to generate more power? Yes, so it is. They hadn't invented that yet. In no, but it was two. It was Abe and Stallone, and they just got crushed oh, yeah. by that guy. Johnny tried to help Abe, and it didn't help. He got pulled like over the table. He got pulled over the top. Yeah, he did get pulled I mean, literally over the top. Yes. His whole body was over the top. Um, oh, so speaking of actors that we, uh, we'd rec- we covered most of the actors that are recognizable, but there's one more Seinfeld actress, Ooh. and I only recognized her because of her voice. I forgot about her and I'm, until I got to this note. I'm trying to even think actress. She is a very small part in this movie. Is, uh, is it Stallone's mom? It is Stallone's mother, Mrs. Kovacs. The actress's name is Rosika Halmos, and she was in an episode of Seinfeld. She played the pony lady. I had a pony, <laughs> and I loved him. What's wrong with that? <laughs> I, I I had a pony. That lady's sure, awesome. She, she just awesome. means business in that episode. I love I love that character on Seinfeld because she reminds me of my grandmother, who has now passed away. But you know, when when my grandmother was alive, she I, she was guess, exactly I'm like that. I guess your grandmother meant business too. Oh, she definitely meant business. <laughs> I had a pony. <laughs> I mean, she just eviscerates them. In oh, this. yeah. She's angry. No, but it, it, it's, it's the line where she goes, what's wrong with that? And she kind of rolls her, R's, her R a little bit, and it's, it, she sounds exactly like my Polish grandmother. Oh. What's wrong with that? <laughs> anyway. I, there's no way in a million years I would have made that connection. Yeah, it was only because of her voice. I, I was like, cause, because that actress sounds exactly like my grandmother, it just like perks my ear up. Like, That's the, <laughs> is that that woman from Seinfeld? I had a pony. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my next one, I, I guess this was maybe more of a personal note. So if you remember in one of the first meetings that uh, – it might be the first actual meeting you see. So Stallone, Kovac has been able to at least get some guys to be willing to go to the meeting, and he's talking – because he uses Joe Harper uh, as an example in one of the scenes with one of the older older truckers that I think is, is driving his own truck. Yeah, he's an independent trucker. Yeah, Speaking and, of over the top, there was the independent truckers right, the independent, uh, he, division. Yes. Uh, but I said that I must be cynical because that entire scene with Joe Harper, I assumed him being in a wheelchair, I thought it was 100% a ruse it and felt, BS. It, it felt like that. It felt like a con man. I, I don't th- but I don't think it was as like the scene went on. I don't think that it was. I think it was legitimate, but... Right. I just must be too much of a sin because I'm like, oh, this is just a scam to get these guys all fired up. I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean because I, I had the same feeling. It's If I was in that crowd, I'd be like, I, you know, I, maybe I'm going to poke this guy in the leg to see I, if... I feel so bad saying it because that is like an awful thing to say about somebody that legitimately is, you know, lost the use oh, of their yeah, legs yeah. to say I'm going to go over and stab him with my pen. But it's I, the, the way it's presented, I mean, the it's, way it's presented, it does not seem legitimate. Well, but I think it's a reasonable, I think it's a good instinct to be wary of people who are trying to deliberately pull on your heartstrings in that way. Mm. Not that, not that it's, you know, always obviously like in, in this case and in a lot of cases it's real and, you know, but there's a way to do that, that, is more genuine than this. Like it just, it did feel, it felt manipulative is really what it comes down to. It's clear that he's only bringing this guy up to convince these guys to get what he wants. Right. Yep. I mean, he, he does also want what's best for this guy and for all the guys to get, you know, better health coverage to get the company to pay for it. Um, so, you know, he has good intentions, but it also does feel manipulative. I think it's, there's a probably, you know, I, I it's don't, a little bit of both. Yeah. I, I think the movie is probably, it's it's less a comment on the movie and more a comment on the character of Johnny Kovacs. Like yeah. I think he could, probably could have 
presented it in a way that felt a little less manipulative, but okay. yeah, I, I'm with you. All right. I don't else? think that's a cynical thing. I think. That's, All right. That's well, like, good. Then I don't feel as bad. What else have you got? I got a few more. Oh, when uh, this is just a, I, I'm so sound oriented. Just again, th- that old woman's voice, like r- sounding like my grandmother. Uh, is there a cheetah or panther somewhere? No, in the no, no. It is a sound effect <laughs> thing. <laughs> Listen to Terminator Three if you want to know what Mike is talking about. <laughs> Our Terminator Three podcast. But um, no, when 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 Johnny is. Uh, uh, <laughs> Don't do that. He, he, Mike just didn't talk to the hand at me. I'm trying to do a podcast over here, and you're distracting me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I still love it. It's probably now been a year and a half since we did that episode, oh, maybe longer, longer than that. And that I did not know that existed. You just opened up something into my world, and now <laughs> every once in a while, I'll just think about it. Panther sounds. <laughs> Definitely one of the top three like chunks of our podcast. Yeah, I'm very proud of that Terminator 3 episode. It's one of our best. No, no question about it's it. It's too bad. It's such a terrible movie because I don't think many people will listen to it. But it is one of our best episodes. I thought I was the one saying it was a terrible movie. You were kind of defending. I it. well, we don't have to relitigate. This. Okay, um, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, if, if you if you only have been listening to Arms Race and haven't listened to the bad puns era of this podcast, that, that that's is, one of our best episodes. Yeah. I, I have absolutely like no shame in saying that. <laughs> like it's it's. I'm really proud of that episode. Anyway. Um, it's funny because Stay Hungry is one of the ones I'm most proud of. Okay. I think that's a really good episode. Yeah, anyway, funny. we'll stop pushing ourselves. It was a sound effect that you were going to highlight in this Oh, movie. yeah, because uh, when he gets attacked in that dark truck stop, they clearly use like some sound oh, when, when, of... When he's getting beat up, yeah, and like the tire iron or something hitting him. Yeah, and like Stallone obviously looped those like cries of pain, and yeah. like, they used one of them twice, and it really bugged me. It was just like, ah, ow, uh, yeah, it, it, it was you not can good. really tell that it's the same one twice. So yes, that always bugs me. But uh, I, it's it, just, it, I always these. This is a pet peeve of mine. This is a recurring theme of a lot of things I bring up in this segment. And sounds not being used properly is one of them. All right. So when the when the union came out and they were really starting to get entrenched against consolidated, they set up uh, an area for food to be served and they set up a tent. Yeah. At some point, they start singing. All I could think of, and this is where I had Union Kingpin Homer Simpson. Sure. All I could think of, they have the plan, but we have the power. <laughs> it's so bad, but that's yeah. all I could think of. Now play and- classical gas. <laughs> and then Mr. Burns leaning out like the Grinch, listening to what they have. Well, I'll bring it up now because this is one of my questions. But in that scene where they're playing, they're, they're playing the guitar and uh, striking. Uh, we saw Johnny Kovacs win a harmonica from a from a oh, claw machine. Where's right. his harmonica? He needs to be joining in Ooh, with the harmonica. That is a good question. Yeah, I, I was fully expecting that. I was like, here comes that harmonica that he won in the claw machine. It's not a lobster harmonica, but it's, it is a harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> lobster. <laughs> well played. I that lobster harmonica. We're just full of Simpsons references. Yes, that's, that's a, a great even, pull. Even more so than usual. That is a good pull. Um, but anyway, yeah, I wanted to see more Stallone harmonica playing. He seemed like he could actually play it. He kind of he he played a few notes on it, and it seemed yeah. like he could play the harmonica okay. Sylvester Stallone. I don't know if he could have done it to participate in that. Sure, singing, though. yeah, to to be to match the key of whatever the song is. Yeah, yeah. maybe not. All right, um, what else you got? I got about three more. Okay, two more really. This really bothered me. This is just like set dressing. So so Peter Boyle's office in the second half of the movie in Washington D.C. Yep, 
there's a couple scenes in there, like when Kovac first arrives, and he's like, "Oh, you know, how's how was your flight? How are you keeping in good shape?" You know, it's just like a brief scene. The pleasantries. Yeah, and it's kind of just to get the audience caught up. Like it's 20 years in the future. Here's where everybody is in their you know yeah. in their career. And right outside of Peter Boyle's window is the Capitol building, and it's like 10 feet from the window. It's just obviously a backdrop. Like, you know, if if you stuck your hand out the window and poked, it would, you know, the entire Capitol building would wobble because it's just a painted backdrop. Man, I'm looking at this going like... a little money. Yeah. Well, it's like, is this office literally like across the street? Like, where is there a building where that would be the case? And, And yeah, it just... It looked so fake to me. That was the one scene where I was just like, boy, this is a set. Spent, <laughs> spent a little more money on, the, on Peter Boyle's office, or right? just, you know, I, they're trying to establish we're in Washington, D.C. See the Capitol out there? It's just there to, to orient you to yeah. where you're at. But do it a little more subtly than that. But, they may as well have had, like, you know, the, the Lincoln Memorial behind them or something. You know what I mean? Like, it, it seemed just as, like, realistic, just as plausible. Yeah. All right, I have here, and I'm disappointed because I don't have what scene it's in, but there is a great quote from Babe Milano, and it's, it's, it's close to Wolfgar. He says, I love your hat to somebody instead of, I like your hat. Oh, wait. so what, you don't know when this was? No, I, I shouldn't. Who, who says it? Babe Milano. So I had it that it's another, another criminal, and it's, hmm. I love your hat instead of, I like your hat. Yeah. Uh, I'm so trying I, to think what scene it might be. Could no. it be in the bowling scene or they've... Uh, it, they've might, it might be, actually. that might be out a whole bowling alley. Yeah, and it's just them bowling sure. and kind of talking. It may be, it may be there. Hmm. It's either there or the Senate hearing, one of those. Because this is late in my notes, so it might be the Senate hearing, okay. too. Uh, I've only got... I got one more. How many more do you have? Uh, I got a couple more. Okay, all right, let's hear them. I mean... I wrote down everything that's on those posters, but I'm not going to go through it. It's so probably not the Is anything good? Nah, it's just like a list of like types of drivers that are in the union, and it's like it says car washers, bread deliveries, armored car delivery. It's just like a list of okay that stuff. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty. There's nothing like out of place or unusual about it. Okay, one thing I want to. <laughs> this is just a phrase that jumped out at me, and obviously, you know, I don't. We try not to poke fun at. Uh, Stallone's way of speaking, like yeah. obviously there's reasons for that that yeah. you know are beyond his control. But uh, it reminded there's one phrase in this movie that really called out. Like there's there's just like certain phrases that are obviously tough for him to say, and it reminded me actually of T three because we poked fun. It's easier to poke fun at Arnold's accents because a he's got a sense of humor about it, obviously yeah. from just interviews and stuff. But b it's like that's not anything that he was born. It's with. It's not a physical discipline. Yeah, exactly. Right. But um, I remember on T3 we were poking fun of Arnold because he couldn't say cellular level. He was just oh. like, it can mimic you at a cellular level. Um, <laughs> and I remember saying, like, that's just, they should have changed the, the line yeah, because it's just a the... thing that's very difficult for him to say given yeah. his accent. And it's not like you can't change the dialogue into something else. You're basically, it's science fiction. Yeah. But there's a line in this movie that I felt like they should have changed because it was obviously very difficult for Stallone to say. And the line is, nobody's going to ruin the union. Oh, and I just the way that comes out, the running little, together, yeah, yeah just uh, he had a real rough time. Though I, I, I heard that one like they should have changed that line just to make it easier. Gotcha. Uh, I had another one. This was just I, every time either Vince or Johnny. The, the, so they they talk about the movie Push, and that was basically leverage or power yeah. to try and push back. On you need push to get anything done. Yeah. yeah. All I could think of was push it real good. <laughs> I couldn't get it out of my head the, sure. every time it came up. Yeah. If this was a, a better known movie now, I would say that would be on YouTube somewhere. If someone, oh, absolutely. You know, it sounds like an opportunity the, for a listener that really wants to uh, 
I'd do it if I had the time or the inclination. Push it I, I, real good. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, just, just uh, Stallone be like, we need push, and then, yeah, push it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could cut, cut together a music video. It probably exists. Uh, nobody knows Fist. Nobody knows this movie probably anymore. Not. So I, I don't think the YouTube generation is, knows is doing or cares. Is, no one knows Push It the song anymore. Millennials oh, don't know that right. song. I'll bet. Probably right. Uh, okay. Although so, if they if they're millennial and listen to this, they know Kenny Loggins and Meet Me Halfway. I'll tell you that for well, sure. They don't have a choice if they listen to this podcast. Right. They're gonna know about it soon if they don't know it already. Um, <laughs> what else I, you got? Okay. So uh, one moment that uh, jumped out at me. So it, near the end, Abe is kind of he's he's talked to the senator, and he's got like protection. Like I don't know if it's like congressional. Like I don't know. It's yeah. It's it's not clear if it's the FBI, the U.S. Marshals, some sort of protection because he might be in danger from the mob. Right. Because Johnny goes to talk to Abe at Abe's house, or is it his house? Like, I assume it's his house. Yes. Yeah. And some like guard opens the door, and it's like, and then the wife kind of shows him. He doesn't want to talk to you or whatever. And this this moment really, from Abe's point of view, really annoyed me because Abe's wife's like, Abe's not here. And then cut to Abe down in the basement just be like, who is it? <laughs> it's like, hey, idiot, they're trying to protect you. They're trying to claim that you're not here. Keep your mouth shut. I didn't think about you that. You have no <laughs> idea who it is. Right. Who is it? Just shouting. They're trying to cover for you. They're trying to tell them, no, Johnny, you're not there. <laughs> what an idiot. You're right. <laughs> it's bad, but maybe Abe got what he deserved in the end yeah, if he's that reckless. Seems like he should have been a little more careful. He, he knew what he was getting into when he, he agreed to testify. Fair enough. The only other thing I have is actually not from the movie. I did look up the quote from The Simpsons, even though you don't remember it, when you've got the, the, the kid who gets walled up in the old Coke oven. He says, but then we'll get, well, then we'll get the fair knuckle to unionize. Then we'll get the fair knuckle treatment we deserve. Then we'll get corrupt and shiftless, and the Japanese will eat us alive. <laughs> I got to rewatch that episode. Yeah, it's a great episode. <laughs> yeah. So that that's all I had on the little details. What else have you got? Well, that's, that's all I got too. All I right. mean, uh, I'm not going to go through all the the, the stuff on the, the cork board because whatever, it's not that interesting. All right, that's one of my questions. Yep, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. All right, Devil's Advocate, the segment where we ask each other questions that we came up with from the movie and try and answer them for one another. Yeah, and as mentioned earlier, it is, I think this is going to be pretty light because uh, I don't think there's a lot of issues or plot holes or, you know... There, there's not a ton. I've got a few, though, so... Okay. Well, my first one is just it's sort of just a practical question. What kind of maniac puts sparklers on a Christmas tree? That <laughs> seems like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Oh yeah, there's a Christmas scene. I think it's in the second half when you know in the fifties, and they they have sparklers on their Christmas tree. You're right. It's uh, it's when Johnny. It's when the yeah. love story comes to an end because he proposes. You're right. Now, oh right. So yeah, I guess it is in the earlier part. But either way, it's Johnny's tree. <laughs> that, Johnny what kind of a maniac? Uh, a maniac who has a death wish. Yeah, <laughs> seems like a so terrible maybe idea. that's the reason why he crosses Babe Milano. Unless Vince put him up to it, like, hey, I got a little arson side hustle going on. Can you help me out? <laughs> we can make a little cash. Yeah. All right, so here's my first question. It's from earlier on the movie. I want to know, did Johnny just want to try and impress Anna with a car? And is that the reason he took the job as a union rep? Because he is not interested in the least until Mike Monahan says, you get a car. It's true. So why is he so excited about this car? And by the way, it's not a car, it's a truck, and it is a piece of junk. Well, it's the 20s. Like, any car in the 20s is a big deal, I would assume. So, But my question is, did he, did he just want to impress Anna, so he took this job to get a car? This is after he's met Anna? 
He, where he gets it's, the offer. It's from already, it, yeah, it's already been established that he's interested in Anna. Okay, I didn't think about it, but yeah, I, I will. I will accept your premise that he he took the job because he wanted to impress her with the car. Okay, he gets a company car, but it's yeah, it's, it's very loosely a company car. Well, it, it, it's a car that they give him to drive around or it's for people. Company so. transportation. Okay, it's not a car, but you know, yeah. it's a company vehicle. She says she's never even been in a car, so I mean that that'll show you how impressive it was in the 1920s. All right, right. Yeah, yeah. that's when he's joking with the elbows. Yes. It's gonna be hard to drive <laughs> his car. He says it's gonna be hard to uh, change the the gear with no no hands. No hands. Yeah. She, he says, "You ever try that?" She's like, "I've never even been in a car before." Right. All right. So yeah, I think that's having a car must have been really it, impressive. It was clearly a great perk because he took the job. Yeah, especially for these, these blue collar guys. Yeah. Like he's worked in the oh, part of this. He worked in this like unloading trucks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. So my question, I was praising the makeup earlier, but this is one, pe- one gripe I have with the makeup. All right. 20 years later, this scar hasn't entirely healed. Ooh. He gets a scar in a, in a, in a, a strike action. He's, he gets beat up or whatever. Um, he, he kills a guy. We kind of glossed over that. Well, I, mean, I figured we'd get to it. <laughs> yeah, we, we would have to get to it in the body count, but, yeah. uh, that's just a part of the plot we'd never really touched on. But he gets a scar on his head. And twenty cut to twenty years later, and it's, and it's still prominent. It's, it's has not faded in the slightest. No, it it looks like he peeled off a scab like ten minutes prior to every scene. I yeah, I think what's you're the right. deal? Is his no. health? Does he have a you know some of, condition? Yeah, what is happening with this scar? I think practically it's just bad makeup. Okay, and that's the correct answer. Yes, uh, I don't think I have a good good other explanation within the the realm of the no. of the movie. There isn't one. Unfortunately, no. it's uh, yeah, unanswerable. If 20 years are going by, I mean Rambo's scars healed more than that and, and that's only, you know, from Rambo 2 to 3 is only 3 years. And he burned himself with Sure, yeah, he, one of them. he cauterized his wound. Maybe that's what happened. Is he, you know, Johnny Kovacs thought he was Rambo and he did a bad job of it and he made it worse. <laughs> it could be. I don't know, this, this scar will never heal now because I put gunpowder in it. All right, so I want to know what kind of a sales pitch in that first meeting Stallone's Johnny Kovac is really making because he says, you know who's going to take care of Joe Harper? We are. Not management. We are. Because he's been a union man for 20 years. Joe Harper has been in the union for 20 years. You've made no progress in 20 years? <laughs> well, they didn't have push. I know they didn't have push. To get push. Well, I'm asking you, what kind of a sales pitch is that? They're <laughs> well, pitching, and he's saying, uh, Joe, Joe Harper's been a good union man for 20 years, so we're going to take care of him. Yeah, but Joe, he's been there 20 years, and he has, he's got no push. Well, I think that, it's a bad he, sales that's, pitch. That's his pitch, is to say, we this, need more? Yeah, this union has been terrible until I showed up. Okay. I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna I'm gonna get All things right. right. All right, I might I might I'll buy that. I mean, he runs into a lot of trouble, and, and you know, this is before he wants he gets Vince involved. So, uh, I mean, he tries and fails basically to get everyone their uh, healthcare coverage. That's, yeah. All right. Yeah. So you know, it's he learned the hard way that it's not as easy as he thought. All right. I'm Question sur- answered. I'm surprised that unions go for, go that far back. I, I don't know when like the first union would have been, but like this is set in like the early 20s and like the mid 20s. He's been in the union for 20 years? Yeah, I didn't do the math on that. That might not work out either. I yeah. didn't do the math. When did the labor movement start? And when, when would this but, type of a job be unionized? When would that have begun? I mean, it's I the truckers. It yeah, I don't know either. Uh, okay, what else do I have? I've got a few more, so. i got a few more. Okay. So, I don't remember the context. Of I think this is when the senator comes into their office and all the files 
I've been burglarized. Because <laughs> my question is, why do they go to the trouble of having this fake burglar when, in the end, Johnny just tears up the subpoena anyway? Oh. He just goes, oh, I'm not going to pay attention to this, and tears it up. Uh, because you could tear up the subpoena, but they could they could show up, as the senator says, with the marshal service. Right. That if the files were still actually on site, the marshals could take the files so they had to go burn them out back or something to actually make them disappear. Okay. They could have claimed that the files were burgled after he tore up the subpoena. Yes. Senator be like, I'll be back in an hour with, with the marshals. <laughs> and, and, and then, then they just go and burn them yeah, in the parking lot. Right. No, no, some thieves show up, showed up while you were away. You wouldn't believe what just happened. Right. All right. So I've got a question on Max Graham, who is the played by Peter Boyle. He's the national president. Mm-hmm. I want to know, how did he ever get to be president in the first place? Because his first speech when he's introduced, here's what I've got him doing. First, to me, he had no charisma in his delivery. But Tom Higgins, who is that independent trucker, he verbally attacks him to open his speech. He accuses members there of being communists, and he demands that they pay their dues in a more timely fashion. Right. This guy is just adversarial. Who would vote for this guy? I mean, this just seems like a caretaker or president. You know, he's... He, Nobody else wanted the job. Well, maybe I, is that it? Yeah, who knows how he ended up in the, being the president? But I, I took him as like a guy who isn't really going to fight to increase benefits or or get bigger pay increases. No, he just wants he just to keep wants, his job. Yeah, exactly. And he wants to make sure that the dues are being paid so that the union is self sufficient and you know is not bleeding money. As long as, long as the union's in the black, he's basically running the union like a business. It's like, as long as we're in the black and, and and I can buy, you know, I can scam the union out of money for myself then i'm okay right. well it's not clear if he was scamming back then really oh, you think well, so? back, I, I would argue that if you were if you were stealing later you were probably stealing earlier yeah, on too probably but, i think it's implied but it but, might have been just stealing smaller amounts and then you get more and more audacious and <laughs> sure. that's ultimately how you always get caught well and the union becomes more and more crooked thanks yeah. to johnny so i mean he <laughs> just figures more them, opportunity yeah, exactly there's more money uh but yeah i mean he just seemed like some guy who doesn't really care he's yeah. just he's just all right. Killing time. That's fair. But I, I will say, it, it seems like they could have found somebody better as a caretaker because he's very adversarial. Well, he seems annoyed with Johnny because Johnny is actually willing yeah. to fight and he's, you know, well, Boyle's character doesn't want to strike. And Right. He, he's annoyed with him because he doesn't want to make waves because I think things are working for him right now. Right, but he exactly. also views John, Johnny as a threat. Because oh. Johnny is charismatic. He's signing a bunch of guys up. He's like, this guy's going to get my job. Turns out to be correct. <laughs> it took 20 years, but eventually yeah. he got there. Uh, I don't have too much more. I I got one more. So All right, I'll do one more, and then uh, you can finish. So, I mean, my question, we, we touched on this already, was when Johnny is killed, uh, his house is empty, and in the bed where Anna is sleeping, there, where oh, we normally the, sleep, the pillows. there are pillows. Why do they bother with these pillows? It buys them two seconds <laughs> of this ruse? <laughs> it's a great question. I didn't write it down. But That's the only thing they do in the house is they put pillows. They didn't take his gun. They didn't find it. Maybe they didn't find it, but, you know. It wasn't that hard to find. No. You're right, it's though. Just, it's, yeah, it's just in the... It's funny. I mean, it's obvi- it is for the audience and for the movie, but you're right. It <laughs> literally buys two seconds. There's no point. Because yeah. immediately he's just like, I don't know. doesn't even, like... You'd, it, you know, it'd be funny if he was, like, talking to her for, like, 30 seconds. Like, oh, yeah, the trip went well, and just cut to pillows and... You know, but no, he's he immediately sees something's wrong. Yeah, because he goes to the kids' rooms first, and they're just there's not there's no pillows in the kids' room; they're just missing. <laughs> You're right; it literally buys like two seconds. <laughs> I didn't see the point. That that's one of those things that you know, you know, like last action hero type movie that Danny's character would right. point that at. What guys? Why are we bothering with this? It's going to buy us what, like two seconds? Yeah, this totally. is a waste. It's a movie conceit. Yes. 
All right, so my last one actually has to do with that Johnny ultimately winning the vote. So I want to know how the nominating process works for the Fist Union, because here's what I've got. When you show up down to this convention in Miami, you've got people with signs for Bill Wenk, somebody named Rupert, and then you've also got Max Graham. So it seems like there's three legitimate candidates for the presidency of this union. Okay. Okay. And everyone's checking in, and they've got you know either the hats or they've got signs, yeah, straw hats. Right. I didn't pay a ton of attention to like the. I didn't really get the sense that it mattered much. No, so. but uh, here's what my point. My question is though. But so you then get the confrontation. They go in and tell Graham, "Hey, we've got this on you. You basically need to step aside." Right. They push him aside over the toy trucks. Okay. Immediately, it's a Lance. Kovac wasn't even a candidate. <laughs> you had two other guys that seemed like they were legitimate candidates. Sure. How did that happen? But Ko- Kovac's got a lot of push, and, you know, <laughs> he's a write-in candidate. He's the most successful write-in candidate in the history of any election ever. I would have been okay if there was, like, if it was Graham and, like, one other guy. I could see where maybe... Kovac is the plate, you know, kind of like, this, you know, and he does because Graham gets up there and says, "Yeah, I can't serve another term, but I heartily endorse yeah. Johnny <laughs> Kovac." So I could see if it was like a two-person race that the endorsement that maybe Graham was already the front runner, but it was there were three candidates, and all of a sudden Kovac landslide victory. That's just how powerful Kovac is. I mean, fist, fist. <laughs> You can presume that maybe uh, his mob buddies, you know, Babe went to the other candidates and went like, maybe you should pull out also. You might. You don't I believe want- it was a boking accident. <laughs> I have to, I go, have to now. go now. Oh, my God. What happened to your hand? I'm the one who can't resist the Simpsons reference this episode. I, normally, it's you. I can't either, but that is one of my favorite lines. I believe it was a boking I, accident. It's why I said it, because I know it's one, that's one of your favorite lines. I have, I have to, to go, go now. now. Uh, and then the only other thing I had we won't cover, we kind of covered it, was the 8%. And that was, it was his wife. And I just asked, was there any science behind the number? I don't think there was. I think she threw a dart at a board, and then all of a sudden that became the number. I, I will play a little bit devil's advocate here. I, I have to assume that this is the, only the most recent of many, many negotiations with, you know, I, I'm learning is a whole no, group it, of... it was the first national contract. Was it the first? That's Well, that's what they were making it up to be. That's what Kovac wanted, and that's what he was pushing. We got to have a national contract. And there's a little bit of a side, you know, there's one of the things that they have to agree to in that national contract, and that's one of the fallings out, because Abe actually intentionally oh, right. undermines what the national contract is to push Kovac's buttons because he's upset with them right, they're having a wildcat strike. They agree to a national no-strike clause to yeah. get this 8%, and or, Abe strikes anyway. Well, he strikes, and that then those wildcats need to be put down at a certain point, and he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not adhering to it, and it was to push Kovac's button. Well, my point was, though, is that I, I think that she picked it out of the air, and it was the first national contract. So. Okay. So if it was the first national contract, then that... That doesn't. Yeah, it, it does seem arbitrary. Because I was going to say they probably maybe they got five percent in the previous negotiation. Yeah. He, based on that, he kind of has a sense of how much he can push. But yeah, push. I, who knows? Who knows where that eight percent came from? All right. So that. But again, uh, the team turned out to be correct. He got the eight percent, and that was that seemed. <laughs> Give me it one more time. I got you eight. <laughs> it's the double fist. I mean, the, the listeners can't I see. I think but you it's... need to create and get that gif out there oh, on yeah, the internet. That should, I couldn't find it when I when I tried to text you the gif. I couldn't find that gif. I got you eight. Because that could be our placeholder. Because very often I say we record these at 8 p.m. So it That's would true. be perfect to have that. That I just send you the I got you eight every time sure. I want to record at That'll 8 o'clock. Our, our, our scheduling yes. uh, system. All right. So that uh, that was the devil's advocate. All right. 
Let's move on to the Silk Cozart Corner. Yes. Yes, This is the segment where uh, I take a deep dive into some piece of internet trivia that the movie sparked my interest on. In memoriam? Named after Silk Cozart's character from Eraser. In memoriam of him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I... I grabbed some information. A lot of this was new to me. I don't, this may not be interesting to people who are already familiar with the Jimmy Hoffa disappearance. And I really didn't know much about the story, to be honest, other than, you know, he went he missing, he right. disappeared, and it was presumed, he was presumed killed. He was eventually declared dead, officially. Enough which, time goes by, yeah, you gotta do that, Yeah, right? I think it's safe to say. I mean, at this point, he probably would have died of old age. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, but anyway, so just I'm just going to read off of Wikipedia. I, this is not going to be as... This is a pretty shallow dive, I will say. <laughs> as, as far as deep dives go, this is one of the least deep. I don't know. There wasn't that much... No, it, it's tough. I mean, it's a period movie. Yeah, yeah and just nothing else really uh, sparked my interest. And not, not that it was an uninteresting movie, but it just... I think if it, if it had actually been about Jimmy Hoffa, I would have maybe found it more interesting because it would have actually had more to grab onto as far as like yeah. real, real history. Um, but since it's like so highly fictionalized, anyway, uh, I am looking forward to the the, uh, the Irishman. Now that I know it's, I, mean, I, I I was completely separate of that. I was really looking forward. I yeah. mean, you got Pacino and De Niro actually in a movie together. So. Yeah, For, well, it's been a long time. It's not like it's not like it's never happened. But yeah, but most of the installments, the one in between Heat and this, not oh, very right. good. Righteous Kill, yes. Yeah, uh, and then Heat is one scene basically. So. Right. Uh, okay. So anyway, from Wikipedia. Uh, Hoffa disappeared on Wednesday, July 30th, 1975, from the parking lot of the Red Fox Restaurant in Bloomfield Township, a suburb of Detroit. Which is a, that's a pretty big uh, divergence because in the movie uh, Johnny is killed in like the 50s, right? So that's that's a pretty big change in terms of like the timeline. Unless unless a lot more time went by, that I think you got a little bit more time than the 50s. I think the hearings might have like started, but no, because at least the way that that truck looks it, oh yeah that very, final shot of the truck final looks, shot is very 1970s yeah that looks like the 70s yeah, yeah i guess maybe the movie is, in, is intending for that second half of the movie to take place over years and years I, yeah, I didn't feel like it no uh okay anyway he told others he was going there to meet with two mafia leaders anthony giacciolone and anthony provenzano provenzano was a, also a teamster leader in new jersey and had earlier been close to hoffa uh, he'd been okay. We're getting some backstory here. In 1973 and 74, Hoffa asked him, talked to him to ask for help in supporting him to his return to power. Provenzano refused to listen and threatened Hoffa by saying he would pull his pull out his guts and kidnap his granddaughters. That's, that guy seems like a he, he way, means business. He seems like a way rougher character than Babe Milano. Yes, he does. Uh, Hoffa could not afford to take these threats lightly. At least two of Provenzano's political opponents were believed to have been murdered. Others who had spoken out against him had been physically assaulted. Okay, so he was going to meet... You already kind of touched on a lot of this. He was going to meet with that guy at this restaurant. I'm going to skip some stuff. Uh, the meeting was arranged to take place at 2 p.m. at the Mac- Marcus Red Fox, a suburban Detroit restaurant. The Marcus Red Fox was known to Hoffa. Uh, Hoffa and his calendar. Okay, there's a lot of details I don't, I don't need to read. Okay, I'm not even that interested in the, like, this is like hour by hour recap of (laughs) Hoffa's day before he disappeared. Uh, Anyway, he was supposed to meet these guys. These guys didn't show up. Uh, He called his wife to complain, like, hey, I was supposed to meet these guys, and they they, they stiffed me, and then that was the last time. Anybody heard from him. Yeah, heard from him. Okay, investigation. 
years of an extensive investigation involving numerous law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, came to no definitive conclusion. Diacelloni and Provenzano, who denied having scheduled a meeting with Hoffa, that seems kind of like the break-in uh, excuse uh, in the movies. Yes, exactly. Uh, what? What did I do? What meeting? There are like 20 people who can corroborate that this meeting was scheduled to happen, but whoa, <laughs> we don't know what you're talking about. Those two guys were not found anywhere near the restaurant that afternoon. Hoffa was declared legally dead on July 30th, 1982. The case continues to be subject to rumor and speculation. And then later, I just wanted to... This, this A lot of this later, like, relatively recent revelations... Of trying to figure out where Jimmy Hoffa yeah, might have actually... This, this was all news to me. I think this is what The Irishman is based on. So, okay, uh, this is where I'm going to skip to. There's, there's a book called I Heard You Paint Houses, Frank the Irishman, Sheeran, and the Closing of the case on Jimmy Hoffa. This is a book that came out in 2004. And I don't know if you're aware of this book. You're, you're, no. mo- you're more into like mob stuff than me. Yeah, so no, I, I'm not aware of that book, though. So I, apparently this had some revelations in it. I didn't even know. You would think this would have been bigger news. Maybe just people don't care about Jimmy Hoffa anymore. So, okay. Author Charles Brandt claims that Frank Sheeran, a professional killer for the mob and longtime friend of Hoffa's, confessed to assassinating him. According to Brand, O'Brien drove Sheeran, Hoffa, and fellow mobster Sal Brugiglio to a house in Detroit. He claimed that while O'Brien and Brugiglio drove off, Sheeran and Hoffa went into the house where Sheeran claims that he shot Hoffa twice behind the right ear. Sheeran says that he was told that Hoffa was cremated after the murder. Sheeran also confesses to reporters that he murdered Hoffa. Blood found in the Detroit house where Sheeran claimed the murder happened. Uh, Blood was found but was determined not to be Hoffa's. Well, I think the Wikipedia says it was inconclusive. Gotcha. Uh, in June 2006, the Detroit Free Press published in its entirety the so-called Hoffax Memo, a 56-page report. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm reading the Wikipedia article. A different article I found said it was inconclusive. Uh, okay. Uh, published the Hoffax Memo, a 56-page report the FBI prepared for a January 1976 briefing on the case uh, at FBI headquarters, although claiming, although not con- claiming conclusively to establish the specifics of his disappearance, the memo records a belief that Hoffa was murdered at the behest of organized crime fighters who regarded his efforts to regain power within the Teamsters as a threat to their control of the union's pension fund. The FBI has called the report the definitive account of what agents believe happened to Hoffa. So, actually, more definitive than I realized. I thought it was just a total mystery, but it seems like people have come forward and... You know, the FBI seems to have a pretty good idea of what happened, but weren't able to prosecute, probably didn't have enough evidence or whatever. And people might have died, too, by the time you actually got right, exactly. some of the confessions. That's interesting, because I thought it was certainly more of a mystery. Yeah. And any of that, that book and that stuff, no. I When it came out, I must not have been paying attention. It makes me, I probably wait and, I will probably wait until after The Irishman comes out. But and take that, a look I, at the book. Yeah, yeah, I may read that book, because yeah. I, I didn't. We don't have to wait too long because it's only a month or two away that the Irishman no. will. Well, it, it'll be out when this episode goes out. Being uh, right in theaters for its limited release and three and a half hours long or however long it is. I'll so. sit through three and a half hours. That's fine. So live. I mean, if it's engaging, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Well, Goodfell- it Goodfellas is three hours, right? Or close no, to? no, it's like two two twenty. No, I thought, I thought the Godfather's was pretty long, but not not Goodfellas. Okay, well, yeah, I, I definitely Godfather. Yeah. Uh, I, I rewatched all the Godfather movies recently. I, I, I watched all three. I'm glad you enjoy the third one. I just ignore it. I, I bought him on four. You know what? Whatever. Johnny Zaza. He kind of had to see it. Oh, yeah. Joe Monta. Speaking of Fat Tony. Fat Tony. Um, okay. But anyway, I, I've got more notes. I mean, there's there's all kinds of like, there's the, there's the rumor that it was, they were 
they buried the remains under in the Meadowlands. Yeah, it was in the Meadowlands. I have That's it what I somewhere. thought it was. I think it was. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but I always thought it was the Meadowlands in I, New Jersey. I thought it was Sh- not Shea Stadium. What was it? What's the football stadium? Giants. The Meadowlands. Oh, is it? I yeah. thought that was the basketball. No, arena. that's Madison Square Garden. Okay. No, wherever the because wherever the the Nets used to play, I thought that was the Meadowlands. Oh, doesn't I, matter. So I don't know where the Nets used to play, but the football stadium used to be. It's not anymore because yeah. they they built a new stadium, but it was yeah. Meadowlands. They they tore down the stadium and they did not find any remains. That was always the the rumors. <laughs> that, like Geraldo Rivera opening Al Capone's save. All right, yeah. we're finally going to tear down the Meadowlands. Let's see if we find Jimmy Hoffa. Basically, I I imagine. I mean, who knows how those rumors start? But I wouldn't be surprised if the, the people responsible start rumor like, to throw off the scent. Like, yeah, it's buried. Check underneath the stadium. Yeah, that, that's really where it is. Um, but anyway, I just I, I reading that stuff. I was kind of surprised that that people have come forward and uh, confessed to murdering Jimmy Hoffa. And you know, obviously, it was 2004, so years and years later. Right. I mean, if he was declared, you know, he went missing in the mid 70s. Declared dead in the 80s. By by the time you get to the 90s and certainly 2004, yeah. a lot of people probably just weren't paying attention. Yeah, just the fact that neither one of us even knew that apparently yeah. the case is basically solved and it was this huge mystery for 20 case years. Case closed. <laughs> I thought it was just a figure of speech. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the body count. Yep. This movie, we only killed 48 people compared to the last one where we killed 119. So the body count, this is why we're here. Yep. So uh, not too many in this movie. and There's, there's no. some mob stuff, but... Some mob stuff, uh, Strikebreaker, who is Stallone's uh, one one body in this. Yep. And So I actually, just for the totals in general, I had Mike Monaghan, a security guard that got killed by an Irish sniper, that Strikebreaker, right. yep. and then uh, an FBI agent, and Abe. That's... Uh, well, I assumed FBI. I don't know if it's FBI or not. And Stallone himself, and... and uh, oh, yes, and, and of course, Johnny. So wait, which which I have... I'm not... I'm, I'm missing the FBI agent. Uh, he's in the, the, the robbery that Abe, Abe gets killed. That one of the agents gets shot. That guy's gone. Oh, I forgot. I didn't uh, note that guy. Yeah, okay. It's, it's, it really is. I, you know, it's kind of bad. I can run name. There's no way that, you know, like an FBI agent is, you know, calling him by name and he's probably diving on top of him. He's not telling him to go run, but whatever yeah. that, that guy bites it first. Yeah. We never talked about that scene. Like how we, we said that Abe was killed, but we never talked about how. And like, oh yeah, it's a rob. a, a, a they stage a robbery, but yeah, I don't a think, grocery store. And I don't think the mob would even go that far. I, <laughs> sure, why even try to like hide their intentions? Yeah. Well, but because it, it's it's obvious what it's driven by. It's clear right. that the mob is assassinating him. Why put it in there any pretense? Why did these uh, robbers kill this one shopper <laughs> arbitrarily and then leave? Uh, yeah, but it annoyed me that uh, his his uh, bodyguards, whether they're FBI or whatever, uh, don't immediately suss out what's happening. They're just like, keep down. It's just yeah. a bur- burglary. It's just a robbery. Right. Come on. Run away right away. Don't I mean, even wait. I, you're right. I think when this movie was made, that was like more plausible. But the more that I think you know, law enforcement has become accessible through you know, TV, like real documentary, like representation, nobody would believe that in a movie today. No way would that be believed today. Wh- which part would not be believed? That the FBI guy would not? They wouldn't like immediately assess that the... Yeah. the, the this is just a robbery. Just stay down. We'll sure. be fine. No, not at all. Well, I didn't believe it today. So right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I mean. Is yeah. It just seemed like, but I'm come on, just to, better safe than sorry. Run out the back door as yeah. soon as there's any kind of weapon. Nearby. I'm just I'm just saying from the audience's perspective when this movie was made, I think maybe it was a little more plausible than it is today. So. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we're comparing Arnold Schwarzenegger's yeah, body so count. Yeah, so where are we at? Sylvester Stallone. So Sylvester Stallone had one in the body count. 
in this movie, which brings him to a total of 354 across... I do this at the last minute now, and I need to stop doing that. Across 31 movies. So now he has an average of 11.42. So a little bit of a dip, but he's still over 10 per movie. And I'm going to try to do this now going forward just because this is probably more telling than the average body count. But Arnold Schwarzenegger's total body count was 546, and Sylvester Stallone currently is on pace to hit 593. So actually, he's on pace to still have more total. Uh, actually, the last time I did that, I miscalculated it because I forgot that the Expendables movies existed, basically. Uh, you know, because we they, we did that in a weird little mini-season. So anyway, Before we knew what we were doing next. But he's, he's still on pace to, uh, Stallone's still on pace to beat Arnold in the total body count. So only one in this movie, but every little yeah, bit counts. And I'll I'll also preface, I always feel bad. I mean, this is, you know, it's fiction, but historical fiction. The, the, these kind of bodies and deaths, you know, whether accidental or unintentionally killing a strike breaker... We when we set this up, it was more for you know kind of cartoon yeah. action movies, but these catalogs have you know serious movies, so we're not taking that lightly. And it's fiction, though. I mean, it's yeah. it is. I just I want to preface it that we're not heartless. That we're you know yeah understood. Yeah. The 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 world and the the world we live in is a different place than when we started this podcast. It's essentially, true. it's true. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to oh, yeah the wrecking, the wrecking crew. crew award, which I forgot to do. I'm going to think about something oh. right now. How can you forget to do this when there are actually explosions in this movie? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna give you time right now while I'm who did his homework. <laughs> I'm gonna give you who wins the award from me. Okay, I am giving it to Vince Doyle and Vince Doyle. Uh, you gave me the actor's name and I forgot. Yeah, it. I don't remember now. Uh, the, my reason <laughs> is the Klingon Jesus. We yeah, call him Kling, Kling, Klingon Jesus. I'm I'm giving it to him. He he knows his way around a Molotov cocktail. He knows to show, you know, he he's, he knows to show what well, he's got a little pistola in his in his waistband. But more importantly, nobody takes the Fifth Amendment in a Senate hearing like Vince Doyle. So for that, he gets the Wrecking Crew Award from me. He took it like okay. a boss. Okay, fair enough. I think that's a good pick, but I think I'm going to give it to the old guy who was also the priest in Caddyshack. Because, man, <laughs> those strike breakers he hires mean business. And that, You're right. They do mean business. The, that guy is basically responsible for all of that. So I'm thinking through the movie right it's now. A, it's a lot of bedlam because when you think about it, I mean, he basically is tearing down his own company. Because, man, when they breach that gate, I mean, the the sign comes down, trucks are getting, you know, cars are getting turned over, and he really is the linchpin behind it. I mean, uh, Johnny Kovacs tells him, like, you know how much money you're going to lose in this strike? And he doesn't care. He just wants to make a point. He's, 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 uh, and it is, yeah, as as brutal as some of the mob guys are in this movie, he seems like the worst of them all, this, this owner of this trucking company. Yeah. And it's, and as I said early on in the episode, and his son wants nothing to do with his dad's method at all. He, it immediately is like, this old man, he is a fossil. There's no way I can do business the way he did. He's still in charge, though, so his son's got to put up with it until, it's he, true. until the old man dies. All right. All right. Let's uh, rate this thing. Hey, hey, what the hell are you doing? You're punching car accident victims. No, 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 you don't understand. He was bad mouthing my film. All right, the Rocky rating. This is the segment of the show where we rate the movie uh, based on Rocky opponents from Apollo Creed down to Spider Rico. Yep. Uh, for me, this this one was a tough one. Uh, it, w- it wound up in the higher echelon. 
I went. I vacillated, went back and forth, but I ultimately went with Clubber Lang. It's a, I think, a really good movie with some really good performances, but it's not all there. Yeah, I agree. I also give it a Clubber Lang. The movie could have pushed it farther, and that's what push. I was talking about. Yes, that's right. It needed to have more push. We, we almost, narrative push. We almost need a meet me halfway type sound drop for this movie with push. We know what we need. We need ah push it. That's really what we needed just for this episode. Yeah, just for this episode. I was gonna say how how often will that come in handy? It's in not gonna come episodes. in handy ever again. But for this one, push push it real good. Sure, it'll come in handy. Uh, I'm sure I could Google it and pull up a YouTube right now. Push it. I'll, I'll play it as the outro music of yeah, the episode. Of course. How's that? I'll, that that's that's meeting me halfway. That's right. You're right. I'm, I'm meeting halfway. Oh, which I, I, I forget which button it is. Meet me halfway. Thank you, Kenny Loggins. You know, we really, I feel an obligation to play that. We really needed something from over the top in this movie. I mean, we. Well, it, it was the arm wrestling, so. That, no, that's what my point is. We had to have a meet me halfway. This is yeah. a trucker movie with arm wrestling. There's no way we couldn't have that. That's a good point. The trucker uh, connection also. So. No, but the, we mostly agreed in this movie. So the, the meet me halfway yeah. button is there to resolve disputes, much like <laughs> when, when unions and management are, you know, Absolutely. if only they had a if meet they me. Had a, if you're right, if they had that button, there's right. no way that there would have been any of that. At bedlam if they yeah. just hit the meet me halfway button it, it, uh, like, this it, really it, it, is the whole movie we just solved it up. <laughs> we did we solved all labor disputes all all, all <laughs> just need kenny long we need to call up the united auto workers right now you're right, they are on strike yeah. against GM. We just need them to play a little Kenny Loggins. Yeah. Like, in the scene where there's, like, this, the street fight where they've got, like, clubs and they're they're banging them on the ground. Yeah, they're getting, like, ready and, like, letting them know they're there. Just imagine, like, you know, Goldie, Goldie Wilson's car from, from uh, Back to the Future with the speaker on it? Mayor Goldie Wilson. Except instead of saying Mayor Goldie Wilson, it's playing Meet Me Halfway. It's That's just, it. We've solved it all. Just driving around town playing this. Meet Me Halfway. They, they, all, they all drop their, you know, they'll look left, they look right, and they go, yeah. oh, we're yeah. being unreasonable. And they and they walk, they each take like five steps forward, they meet in the middle. And then they arm wrestle for, the, <laughs> for, for how much benefits they're going to get. Yes. We've solved this, it all. This is a movie right here. We've, we've solved it all. Yeah, we absolutely have. But joking aside, you know, it, it has its weaknesses, but I think overall, I think... You know, it's not Oscar, I think, worthy, but Stallone, I think, has given a really good performance in this movie. Yeah, uh, and I, for a fictionalized tale of the you know labor movement, I think it's a pretty good, pretty good movie. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, like I said, I was impressed by the way that it kind of illustrates the ways in which yeah. you know, even if it's entirely fictional, um, it was helpful to understand the history of the labor mo- movement, even if it's ahistorical. Yeah, you know, by depicting it in a kind of i mean it's obviously a lot cleaner than real history right real history is very messy and this is a pretty clean depiction of it's it's very easy to understand how the mob gets involved here because you know everything's pretty simple you know it's it's a two and a half hour movie it's not exactly gonna you know it's not gonna get too deep into it no but yeah i agree it's a good movie all right so we're moving on and it is my pick it is your pick so i i (laughs) I know your 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 methods are entirely based on what is available on what streaming services. <laughs> you just so. busted me. <laughs> no, you've already busted yourself multiple times on this podcast. So, <laughs> I'd say where are we going? You know, after Fist, but Fist has nothing to do with your decision making. What's process. funny is right. So you try and save us from my debacle of my my last choice. Yeah, I I try to kids. I try to find you either, try to get us back on crack, either, track. either some kind of thematic connection where a movie has a connection to the previous movie or something as opposite <laughs> as possible. That's my method well, usually. For me, with this eclectic mix, it's hard to find common themes anyway. Yeah, that's true. So I I was very tempted to go right and get us back into a quality action. 
movie. Okay. But I decided I'm not going to do that, so oh. I went to the still making action movies. Well, those category. were those were action movies for the most part. They right? are action movies, so I want that's the I wanted to be. Oh, the quality part is the part that is not <laughs> we're not going to get here. I it's see. Not. So I I happened to find this on a new app that I found of a free streaming TV service. So that's part of the reason why I'm picking it because I don't want to pay for this movie. A new app. Pluto TV, I found. <laughs> what? Yeah. I got to sign up for Pluto TV to watch? You don't I'm, have to sign up for it. I, I'm sure there's other ways to get I'm it. I'm sure there are. I'm but curious, I had no idea what I am choosing from the early 2000s, I See You. Oh, a.k.a. Detox. A.k.a. Detox. And when I saw the lineup in this movie, there's a really great cast. Oh, yeah? There is. This is a good cast. I'm afraid it's a garbage movie because the rating on IMDb just it's savaged. I believe this is a movie that was made in the late nineties and sat on a shelf for, for years. And I read a little bit of that too, that it sat around and I think to the point that I think Universal Pictures doesn't even want to acknowledge that it made this movie. Okay. So I think it's on Amazon, so maybe I'll Yeah, just so watch I think it on you Amazon. get it on Amazon, but I was looking through, I'm like, oh wow, I I think you know, I think this is one of the Stallone movies we're gonna I'm doing it, so I'm picking this one. <laughs> okay. That's, just because you happen to see it hold on because here's the thing i'm gonna i'm gonna tip my hand a little bit okay the other movie that was also on this same service was cliffhanger and but i'm like you know what i want to i i've picked everything from that category um the primetime action that's true so i i that's the reason i went this one i'm like it's unfair i'm gonna give keen a chance because i think it's that and cobra is what's left yeah. in that one uh, i had two opportunities to pick from that category and i cho- chose not to so it would have been my own fault you, you would have been free to I, I picked Rambo three and I picked Fist, so you know. All right, that's fair. I, I don't. I wouldn't have been upset if you'd picked. Uh, but well, I, now that you're doing this, I will be picking from this category. Uh, the episode it's gonna after be that, de- it's going to be a defensive move. Oh, absolutely. I, I need to, you know, take advantage of this opportunity <laughs> while I can. And and by the way, it will probably not be cliffhanger. Oh, Cobra. Yeah. So okay. I mean, I, I, I haven't decided yet. Okay. Not this isn't an official uh, choice. Well, I can say this. Much like many of my other picks, I know nothing about this movie. Oh yeah, I, other than Universal seems to have just wanted to abandon the fact that it made it. I mean, I always go in with high hopes, or not high hopes, but you know, I, I go in wanting to like every movie. But yeah, all all signs point to maybe this, this one. Being trash. Well, this this is probably a good time to do it because we liked Fist. Yes, and uh, if we do Cobra, after and you know that, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take some credit on this. I'm acting because I said this about Spy Kids 3D, and I honestly do mean this. When we got to the end of Schwarzenegger, there was so little left at the end. It felt like we were limping to the finish line. Yeah. I feel like I'm leaving a little in the tank, maybe, of kind of trying to clear out some of the trash here in season three rather than have it all backed up in season four. Well, the other option in still making action movies is Driven, which I don't think is very well regarded either. I haven't seen it, but... uh, I have a feeling, though. I I haven't read anything where Sony or whoever made that is trying to just disavow of the fact that it even made that movie, so... I mean, that period of the... The period between Copland and Rocky Balboa for Stallone is a grim. real desert. Yeah, it, it's pretty grim. So, you know, we're we're committed to watching every single one of these movies. So yeah. we're gonna hit them eventually. So. I see you, and I don't know why it's known as Detox. I'm sure we'll find out. I think there's a better title than I see. To be clear, it's called I E Y E C. Like I see you, but not not I see you. I see you. Yes. My, like my I see you. I have no idea. It's grammatically it like it, awful. It seems like it's a surveillance movie of some sort. Like there's drones. Oh, really? there's, I know what I'm saying is I see you. Oh, that seems to me like the Big Brother or some sort of drone or something. Maybe. It? I don't so know. it's like Slither. I guess. 
<laughs> Did you see Slither? No, I have not. Okay, it's about surveillance. Oh well, and it's right. yeah. Is it's, it bad? Uh, I don't remember anything other than Sharon Stone was naked in it. So that's <laughs> that's my only memory about that movie. So so it's like the specialist. Uh, well, I didn't see the special, specialist when I was a kid. So yeah, I, I'm oh, sure. You saw Slither as a kid. Well, as a, a Whatever, teenager, a teenager yeah. I saw it on cable. All right. And that's the only reason I was watching it. So. Okay. All right. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I yeah. see you. That's it. That's where we'll be moving we'll be on next. next. Or Detox. I don't know if I don't know if it's called Detox in different regions. All I know is the movie has two titles. I don't know. Maybe that's where how you, t- maybe that's how Universal was. Tra- well, maybe if we just repackage it with a new title and then that maybe. didn't work. I don't know. So yeah, if if you want to watch along with us, I don't know if it'll be called ICU or Detox in your region. Who knows? But uh, find yourself Pluto TV. <laughs> Okay, so You're really shilling for Pluto TV. Yeah, I, apparently I am. I was very. I, I've never even heard of that. Neither have I. But I somehow found it, and I'm like, oh, it's perfect. Oh, Freestyle. Oh, oh, because oh, oh, that's what we need is another streaming service. That's exactly what we need. <laughs> Here's number thirty. I agree with Peacock, you. Peacock, NBC, and CBS All <laughs> Access, and Disney Plus, and Netflix, and Amazon, and let's go through them all. HBO Go. Yeah, here's one more to add to the pile. <laughs> Hey, I'm excited that I don't have to pay $4 for what probably is trash. Fair enough, but you've got to sign up for it, I would assume. No, I just downloaded the app, and it's right there. It's free. Okay, but I mean, you had to download the app. The app didn't cost me any money. It's costing you something. Well, yeah, <laughs> they're tracking I'm, you somehow. I'm tracking some data, but whatever. I have an Amazon Fire Stick, so Bezos knows whatever he wants to know about okay, me. Fair so. enough. I'll, right. I'll check it out then. All right, fair enough. Uh, either way, we're just running on Amazon, and then Bezos and all that way. So, all right. Uh, so, I didn't mean to make this confrontational. I'm just annoyed by really... yet another streaming service. And you know what? It is fair. I'm just saying I was excited that I happened to see it. I'm like, oh well, maybe I can find a couple of Stallone movies uh, that I okay. wouldn't want to pay for. Understood. So, like, I'm still excited that I could get through Bullet to the Head for free because I didn't really want to pay for Bullet to the Head, which I think is in the same category, isn't it? Uh, still making action movies. I think it is. Uh, just switched away. From it, but I think I so. think it is. So anyway, hopefully you've uh, you've enjoyed the show, and uh, if so, please write us a favorable review uh, on your podcast app of choice. And we'd always love, and we've gotten some recent uh, some recent feedback, actually more having to do with Rambo being in theaters. But it's great to get feedback on uh, Twitter. We are at Arms Race Podcast. Yeah, and if uh, you know someone who might like this podcast, uh, tell a friend. The word of mouth helps us quite a bit. Uh, this this episode is unusual for us, where it was actually kind of a serious conversation about a movie that we enjoyed. But I yeah. think I think it was an interesting conversation. Yeah, so absolutely. This might be a good one to point them to. We actually sound like intelligent people <laughs> instead of you know people <laughs> just just yeah just like completely trashing a movie that we hated. Or, we actually were happy in this episode for yeah, once. Yeah. So <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while since we both liked a movie. You didn't uh, like you didn't like Rocky Three or Rambo Three. I did it again. I did it. Yes. Called Rambo Rocky again. You did say very early on, and that's the second time. Yeah. We'll track, just, keep tracking it. Anyway, all right. So we'll be back with ICU, aka Detox. Mm-hmm.